out of everything that I was expecting, it was not this. <laughs> <laughs> like, at all. I mean, this is some Danganronpa-ass shit here with, like, <sighs> they get out of high school and it's an apocalyptic wasteland outside. <laughs> also, how many times have people escaped this high school for there to be, like, corpses of that shit out there? Just good friends. Nothing to see here, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Just good friends. Just two gals. It's just your average Saturday night. Looking into each the, other's eyes. <laughs> riding around the wasteland on two wheels and some metal. Who among us has not gazed deeply into our friends' <laughs> eyes longingly? Just gals being pals. Just some best friend roommates. It's just two good friends in a motor. <laughs> and barely any space for us to be on this thing. They are not leaving room for Jesus. No. <laughs> you guys, I cannot get over how long the longing gazes are. You know, who amongst us has not shared a single kiss <laughs> with our gal pal and straddled them on a motorcycle? Just a completely platonic kissing the homies. <laughs> Just best friend things. Why is the castle even here? <laughs> so Crispin Freeman is one of the voices in the English version. Who's that? A very well-known voice actor who's been in a lot of shit. Who is he? Um, well... You would know him from being Winston in Overwatch. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to find... I think it said he was Toga, but I'm just trying to find it. Um, yes, he is also the prince. Yep. Are you still watching the credits? Yep. <laughs> They're still going? Mm -hmm. They did it in Japanese and now in English. Uh oh. Listen, this end credit song is banging. Y'all are missing out. <laughs> We've already seen it. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm happy wrong. for you. I, I'm playing it right now. This song is a banger. It's so good. <laughs> the fact that Sega had a hand in this blows my mind. Yeah, when I fucking saw that in the opening credits, I was like, no way. Oh, ending theme is called I Want to Be Your Fiance Adolescence Mix. That <laughs> doesn't sound good. They're just friends, Chesney. <laughs> <laughs> Well, my computer will not allow me to watch the end credits because it's just buffering forever. Damn. Ooh. Honestly, I, I'm not mad. I'm glad it didn't do it <laughs> during the actual film because that would have been upsetting. <laughs> this was made in 2001. It has the most late 80s, early 90s vibes ever. Well, the show itself was made in 1997. Yeah, that's just true. figure a couple years until the movie got made. Yeah. I like just the music and everything and some of the shots. I'm like, damn. Welcome to Absolute Destiny, a podcast. I'm Autumn. I'm Chesney. I'm Carly. Yeah, Carly's back. I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> you so can't get rid of me. <laughs> Carly is the bad penny of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so... We have just sat down and watched Adolescence of Utena, the, the movie. Ordinarily, I would be going to Chesney because, you know, this is her first time having seen it. And I definitely want to get to your first impressions. But I want to start with Carly here. Oh, you started with the movie. You had not seen the show before you saw the movie. So what was that like for you? 
You know what? I'm actually pretty sure that I did see the show before I saw the movie. I'm pretty sure I did. You had told me when we sat down to watch the show together a few years ago that you had seen the movie already. No, I don't think that was me. Because don't you remember when we were watching the movie? We were we were together, like physically yeah. in, in the same room. And you were like, I would love to watch this one day with somebody who has never seen the show before and get their reaction. And I said, I bet you Chesney would watch it. <laughs> <laughs> and here you are. I swear, I thought you said you hadn't seen the mo- uh, seen the show before the movie, though, because I thought you, I thought I remembered you saying that you were like extremely confused the whole time. I mean, I was extremely confused the whole time. Period. <laughs> How did I mix that up? I like- don't know. I'm almost certain because remember we started watching the show together. Yeah. With with your with Casey and. A f- somebody some other people there was like several people and then they dropped off and yeah my ex-wife uh- <laughs> yeah and was it well yeah wasn't joby there too for like a couple of them we we all started and then it ended up just being you and i yeah but yeah um <clears throat> yeah i was i was confused the whole way through dude but yeah you were you were the God, fourth or fifth person I like actively evangelized the show to and <laughs> like sat down and watched it with you. Um Evangelical Girl Utina. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a very different show. I wanna see that show. But yeah, like that's actually kind of the genesis of this podcast is like we were already like too far into watching the show. And that's when like you had invited me and Chesney and our friend Jess to um, to be bridesmaids in your wedding. Right. Um, I think we've covered this story on the podcast before. I can't re- remember at this point. But like, we found out that Chesney was the only one of us who hadn't seen the show before. And I just kind of like dragooned you into doing this show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not complaining. I mean, I stick to my answer from the very first episode of recording this podcast. I'm down to do pretty much anything as long as it's not illegal. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so with my shitty memory out of the way, Chesney, (laughs) what did you make of that experience that you just sat through? Um... You know, you never know what to expect with Utanab, and still it surprises you. Uh, a constantly moving school was not what I thought this was. I thought this was going to be like a whole just recap episode. It really does feel like its own complete thing. Yeah, like a separate continuity. Yeah, completely. Like, Anthe and Utena and everybody else reincarnated, like, hundreds of years into the future, (laughs) where they've taken, like, the remnants of the school and tried to make it into one again in this apocalyptic (laughs) society. I mean... I mean, like, the only outside world that we see is a wasteland of ruined cars. So, like... As optimistic as everything is, we don't actually 
get to see the outside world in any meaningful sense. Nope. Um, like when we were watching this, I called it out as being like the most Danganronpa ass ending. Because <laughs> like spoilers, if you've never played the first Danganronpa, uh, it's a post apocalypse and the kids in the high school uh, escape to not exactly safety <laughs> even though like they're outside of the murder game um look the the storyline of Danganronpa makes no sense but anyway <laughs> and i and i am stacking that up against like some of the ikuhara shit that game commits the unforgivable sin of having like an hour long info dump expedi- exposition at the end before oh, the ending. <laughs> oh no. I timed it once while a streamer was playing it. Like it was like a 48 minute sequence, something to that effect. Um yeah. So anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean like absolutely nothing could have prepared me for this movie. Like the show did. Definitely watch the show before you watch the movie so you even know what the fuck is going on. But like <laughs> I mean, no, and don't, and then tell us how it is. <laughs> yeah, if, if you are one of the rare people who watched the movie first and then joined the fandom and have been listening to this podcast, hello, thank you for making this far. Um, write into us and tell us what your impression was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can get to us at. Uh, absolute destiny a podcast at gmail.com please just like pause now and tell us what your experience was of seeing this movie before you saw the show now chesney to be fair when we first started watching this i did remind you to buckle your seatbelt and keep all arms and hands and feet inside the vehicle i you tried t- to warn you you did and um the show quickly fulfilled that by putting us on a roller coaster track Literally, we were on Rainbow Road, except not Rainbow Road. (laughs) (laughs) We might as well have been at one point. (laughs) Fair. So before we like dive in shot by shot, scene by scene, all that stuff, what are each of your impressions of the continuity of the the show versus the movie? Like, what do you think is going on here? I mean, I kind of already said it. To me, it feels like this is just everybody reincarnated hundreds of years later in a post-apocalyptic world. Um, there were several nods to things from the show. And I think it's a little bit of probably more Ikuhara just like giving that little nod than it is an actual like, Hey, this is giving context of like what's happened since the show. Um, like the fact that, you see the sh- the tower, the broken tower, or now broken tower. I love that you caught that on your first viewing. Oh, but- immediately. <laughs> immediately caught that. Um, yeah, you, we got broke dick tower here. Yep. <laughs> As the most phallic reference ever. <laughs> also apt because Akio's dead. So yes. broke dick tower. Um he fell and broke his dick. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there's that. There's the fact that the, like, 
architecture and furniture um, and movement is all very like almost like retro futuristic. Um, just all the different like angles and curves and the outline, if you can even call it that of the school again, it's like constantly moving, which is interesting. Um, yeah, I, I'm kind of sticking with my little headcanon here of, of everybody's just reincarnated because everybody's slightly different. Right. And you've got pieces from the past showing up here. So, I mean, there was even a nod to um, the Black Rose saga with the elevator sequence and the like the room with the chairs and the arrows all pointing to the elevator. We had a full like confession regression this episode episode, this movie. (laughs) It was an hour and 25 minute episode. (laughs) Hey, it always flies for me. Um, Yeah, I just that's what it felt like to me. A reincarnated retelling. How about you, Carly? Okay. So, <laughs> I mean, the way I see it, the only continuity in between the show and the movie is the characters are the same and the setting is kind of the same, but everything else is pretty much different. I mean, the plot's different. All the characters relate to each other differently. They sort of exist separately but parallel to each other so upon my second watching um and i think it's been like what um, maybe like three three and a half years since i've seen this the first time it just strikes me as like (laughs) it strikes me as a like a story of a bunch of teenagers trying to get laid but it's from their perspective. <laughs> and so it's like extremely stylized and romanticized. <laughs> but it's all in their heads. That's that's the way I'm perceiving it now. And it's all new to them. So like they don't actually know what they're getting into. Yes, exactly. That's that's my that's my hot take. That's all this I is this is from nineteen or the, the movie's from two thousand one, but the show is from nineteen ninety seven. So like before the internet was in everyone's lives permanently and forever and in all ways and <laughs> porn wasn't just there permanently two clicks away from whatever you're currently doing <laughs> yeah <laughs> so my take on this is like i disagree with like the the fan take that like the movie is a continuation of the show Um, I think that like that's a little bit too cynical in that it undoes the ending of the show if you have Utana coming back to the school and Anthe already back at the school. I think this is just like more of an adaptation than a sequel or uh, a remake or anything like that. Like at the same time, there are aspects of the story that I think we're always there in the show, but the movie makes them clearer. I'm thinking in specific, like, Toga's backstory. Yeah. Not necessarily the drowning, but, like, the sexual abuse. Um, I know I talked about it on the podcast. I actually genuinely forgot that that was revealed in the movie and not the show. But that if you know what you're looking for, all the signs are there in how 
that character is portrayed in the show as well. The movie just makes it explicit that that's what was going on with his adoptive family. And it also like puts into perspective why Toga and Nanami have the relationship they do. Like why, despite everything, they're the only two that either of them can count on. Why Toga, despite everything, is always drawn to extremely toxic father figures um, and idealized notions of dominant masculinity. So like, it makes so much more sense once you know that part of his backstory and then look at who he is in the show. But then the movie does like that weird thing where the boy from Jury's story in the show, in the movie, is Toga. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and that I agree with you that it doesn't make sense and it completely undoes it completely undoes like Anthe's really significant empowering action of leaving. I don't think that this is like a continuation of the story that we just finished in the show. That's why I think it's either like this is in the very far future or it's another reality. It's another timeline and a, a telling of the story that way. Maybe it's Anthe's retelling of the story because she gets to be the heroine in this one. Yeah. Maybe it's all taking place in her head. Potentially. Because like we kind of established that the show is entirely from Akio's perspective. Oh, interesting. Um. Like there are some scenes, especially in the latter part of the series, where it is explicitly Akio's perspective, like his limited frame of view, as omniscient as he supposedly is, uh, his like very curated view of what is going on. But yeah, I would buy it that like in this, it's it's Anthes. Yeah. Um, it's funny too that the the endings are still the same. Whereas wherein Utena is the vehicle that helps Anthe escape figuratively and literally. <laughs> <laughs> so the movie opens with the bells in the bell tower and immediately the change in palette colors is obvious from the very first shot. The movie is far more red and black, whereas the show is more blue and white. The show is Disney hero colors. The movie is Disney villain colors. Mm. <laughs> we, we have silver, white, and blue versus gold, black, and red. <laughs> uh, it opens with like a brief shot of Akio and Anthe, and then a shot of just Anthe. Um, we see like the crazy stairs and as we're like going up these upside down stairs, like something straight out of Castlevania, um, we hear clicks like a roller coaster going up already. This is a completely different environment, even as much as it's recognizable as a Tory Academy from the architecture and the broken dick tower that you see right in that first <laughs> shot. <laughs> So something I noticed on this second watch that kind of speaks to this is um, it feels like this movie takes place in a lot more liminal spaces than the show does. Like, yeah, the school is there, but even the way it's 
animated. Like it's so broken up. There aren't rooms the way we think about rooms. There's not classrooms. There's not like gathering places as there is in the show. You know, sometimes they're in a garden or out on like a plaza. There's none of that. But there are an awful lot of stairs and walkways. And it's almost like when they go into a room, there's no walls. It's just dark. And there's usually a thing or two in the room. But the the duel with jury even takes place on a walkway. Yeah, on a catwalk. Mm -hmm. Yep. There is no official dueling arena in this one. Right. It just feels like the show is a lot more grounded in reality. And the movie is just like i don't know where liminal (laughs) it's just an in-between place (laughs) yeah true to utana um we only ever get to see one classroom and it's at the very beginning of the movie (laughs) and it's just to introduce wakaba the most normal character yep yeah who we only see at the beginning and the end and maybe briefly in like two scenes and I think what's really interesting about that point about liminal spaces, one of the most emotionally resonant scenes in the movie is the the conversation between Utena and Toga, where Mm -hmm. she finally remembers that Toga's actually dead. Yeah. And that takes place in an elevator. That fills up with water. (laughs) And like it's a callback to the visual of Nomuro Hall and the, the therapy elevator. But without, you know, um, without Mikage. (laughs) Without the aggressive hypnotherapy, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, without Mikage there um, telling everyone to go deeper. Um, (laughs) And so so we have this really poignant scene that's taking place in an elevator of all places. I think a lot of the, not just the two elevators and... Not just the two elevators, but the different moving parts and pieces of the school itself is, I think it's just supposed to be symbolic of like how high school is a transient place from you're moving from one place to the next. Yeah, like as much as it feels like you're stuck there, because it is usually for most people four years, it's also a bracketed time. Like you start it and you end it. And if everything goes according to plan, it will only be four years. Not many things in life have a defined end point that way. Like nobody goes into, um, well, you don't often go into a job knowing that your job is meant to only be for a couple of years, unless like it's a particular thing, like working on a movie or a video game, something that has like a release date. There's one other shot at the very beginning of the movie um that i want to ask you all about it's after i'm pretty sure it's after the roller coaster ride but it could be before um there's the shadow of the prince the shadow of who we assume to be anthe and anthe looks like she's over a body of some sort did we did the movie ever like kind of close the door on that like what that was because it's not the drowning scene okay so i'm looking at it now i read that as being the bottom part of anthe's dress okay yeah i read i'm reading it i'm reading that too it's like she's slumped over okay yeah and we have this like ambiguous body here that 
is either the prince or Utena or both. Except I think like that cape is meant to be the prince like Dios. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I just, when I first saw that, I was like, uh, murder? <laughs> murder on the dance floor first thing? Okay. I could see how you would read it like that, but it's like not defined enough to be a body. They they wouldn't leave that ambiguous. Like I'm really seeing it as her dress. Yeah, that's why I was confused because I was like, I why would they have wrapped everything up so neatly and then not that? Okay. Well, I mean, to be fair, the the scene only lasts for like three seconds, so you don't really get a good look at it. Yeah. So the next thing that we see is Utana meeting Wakaba for the first time, and. Unlike in the show where it clearly is established that the two of them were friends before Utena came to uh, Atori Academy, here she's meeting Wakaba. And also, let's hear it for Utena's new style, right? Yeah, channeling Jotaro Kujo all the way. (laughs) (laughs) What would Utena's stand be called? Oh, God. Um, It would be the some... Hang on. Okay. Hang on. How about Raspberry Beret? Oh, my God. Because, <laughs> you know, it's sung by Prince. I feel like that works. <laughs> um, no, that absolutely works. I love that. I'm a little bit angry at how good of an idea that one is. <laughs> oh. Uh, also, let's not skip over the fact that um, very masculine Utana just yeah. straight up straight up flirts and hits on uh, Wakaba immediately. Something she never would have done. She like calls her cute. What? I missed this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she said something to the effect of like, are all the girls in school as cute as you? I gotta go back and see that again. Yeah, did she now? <laughs> you guys are so funny. I spent like 95% of this viewing writing. Yeah, she says, well, I'm sure I can enjoy it here with a cute girl like you around. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so all of you Utana and Wakaba shippers, if you're not having a little bit of a heart attack at that, <laughs> are you really a, an Utana Wakaba shipper? <laughs> so then we get the first glimpse of the Shadow Girls. And... In the movie, we have Eco and Efco, mm-hmm. which, of course, begs the question, where is Deco? <laughs> because De- A, B, and C were in the show. Deco's these nuts. <laughs> Deco was the dead body in that first scene. <laughs> oh. All right, I'm done with my terrible joke. We can move on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we immediately from here, Wakaba's taking Utuna on the tour. We get the introduction to the Shadow Girls. Um, Wakaba immediately takes her to uh, a fencing club match and mentions something about the prince. I think she calls Jury the prince, if I'm not mistaken. and Jury and Mickey are sparring. Jury wins. 
takes off her helmet and she has the longest hair out of anybody in this school and she's rocking it. She looks good. Also really appreciate that she only curled the part around her face. (laughs) Who has time for the rest of that, to be honest? Nobody. Yeah. Um, Mickey's hair is also a little bit longer and he looks a little bit more feminine, in my opinion, in the movie than the show. Um, Yeah. Wakaba says, girls call Jury the prince. Maybe she'll be your rival. Yeah. Like right off the bat. The movie is establishing that Jury is the prince. We're not playing around with whether or not Utena is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At least not for a while yet. From the start, the prince of the school, definitely Jury. Which is also interesting that like currently, just like in the show, Sionji is the current victor of the duels. Mm-hmm. But I mean, Juri we know why. Is still the prince. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a good point. How is he the current victor <laughs> with jury around? Maybe she was uh, having she, an off day. I mean, or it's all- uh, rope-a-dope. Like she's just letting Sionji uh, wear himself out, thinking that he's engaged to the Rose Bride, and then at the last second, the like the day before the revolution comes, she's gonna sweep in and take her. <laughs> <laughs> And Sionji's going to be, like, so, uh, he's, he's going to get so cocky that he's going to be off his game and not realize that, like, he actually has to defend her. And she's going to get him. That, like, that, that's Jury doing the long-term planning to actually uh, win the Rose Bride. <laughs> so, so Toga is there. And Utena can see him. And, when, like, when she sees him, she's surprised by his presence uh and she goes chasing after him and we get this like looney tunes chase scene through the mc escher architecture of the school (laughs) where (laughs) utina is trying to catch up with toga and (laughs) can't do it and of course like now that we've seen the movie he's dead he's a ghost he doesn't have to follow the rules but also he's kind of present because like in a future scene, we're going to see him talk to both Anthe and Shiori, which yeah. has some really interesting implications about both of them. Yeah, I was going to ask about Shiori, but I'll save that for when we get there. And like one of the, the key things that we see is there's a distinction in this movie between the Rose Garden, which is from the show, what we would think of as the dueling platform except now it's all covered in roses and the rose bed, which is clearly a grave. Like you don't have to know the secret of this movie to pick up on the, the idea that like the rose bed, that's a, a grave. Somebody's buried there. <laughs> it also looks a lot like the old rose garden from the show, but like completely overgrown and only some of the framework is left. Yeah, like without the the greenhouse part of it. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like it's so it's fast forwarded enough time to where like only some of the the metal framework of the bird cage is still there and the red roses have just gone wild and overtaken it. Which look a lot like swords, by the way. Yeah. 
lot of lot of sword cross type imagery in the movie. Yeah. So Utana finally catches up to Toga and they have like a really interesting conversation here where Utana is explaining to him that she's not who she used to be. And she says that he's not why she's here, which unprompted, strange thing to say. Like, that's the kind of thing where to even say it as a way of assuaging somebody's fears reveals that it's on your mind. Mm-hmm. So maybe we have Utana telling on herself a little bit here that her feelings about Toga are, in fact, what she's doing here. <laughs> They are what brought her to this school. It's not why it's not why she's going to leave the school, but this is a thing that the movie has in common with the show. Encounters with death and tragedy are what put people here. Like, not to invoke the name of she who should not be named, but like they're like the festrals where like you have to have encountered death <laughs> in order to see them. <laughs> Like everyone at a Tory Academy is intimately familiar with death. Yo, who did Wakaba see die? Because she's like the least haunted of anyone here. Her hope. She's. Oh my <laughs> god. I was just gonna say she's just the fairy man. Maybe, <laughs> maybe she is. You might have something there. Um, also, Toga mentions uh, a promise between him and Utana to go to the planetarium. Uh, which is another oof moment. <laughs> it doesn't have the baggage that it did from the show. Mm, does it? <laughs> well, I mean, if you think of this as like a separate continuity, Akio's not there raping everybody. Oh, yeah. I just mean, for <laughs> us as the viewers. Yeah, I he's mean, like, fair. <laughs> he's like, we never got to go to the planetarium. And you're like, thank God you didn't. <laughs> thank God. That place is evil. Don't go there. <laughs> but she also makes note of, like, after she and uh, Toga separated, which implies that they were a couple at one point, which is radically different from the show. Mm-hmm. Um, also, like, they were a couple, and she genuinely cared for him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, that part is not subtle in this. Like, she really loved Toga. Um, after we separated, I decided I'd live with high goals. And that becomes a theme in this movie. Is this idea of, you know, pursuing the highest goal you can as opposed to settling for anything. Mm-hmm. Rather than the power to revolutionize the world, which is like kind of a high goal, but it's very nebulous. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Utana would fit in perfectly at um oh fuck what's the name are you of the- thinking of my hero yeah what's the name of the school ua oh, ua yeah, but, but what does the u stand for fuck if i know <laughs> <laughs> you become a hero academy <laughs> hang on we'll find out oh my god does it not stand for anything it's just you will become a hero <laughs> <laughs> it's just ua it might just be UA. Oh my god. Okay. So <laughs> that's you will become a hero. I keep telling y'all this. <laughs> so yeah, no, like Utana would fit in perfectly at UA. She is embodying 
the idea of plus ultra. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, Toga gives her a red rose and says, for my high goals girl. So and it's then- funny for a, a couple that's separated. Um, boy, howdy. They still uh, pursue each other, don't they? Which is, of course, like our first hint that there's more going on here than just like a breakup. Mm-hmm. Well, and I was going to say, and then as he he offers her the rose, she sees the ring, his his uh, council ring, and goes, "Oh, what's that?" Yeah, you're engaged to someone. Yeah, just the school. <laughs> just the school. <laughs> but then, like the rose that she gets opens, and there's a. a- droplet of water just just like from the rose gate before the duels in the show and the rose spins like in the show (laughs) and like that's the end i think of our references to the show with spinning roses except i think there might be a couple in the dance scene later um and then the rose opens and it's the ring it's also a white rose all the other roses are red Yes, which from the show is the prince color. Right. It starts white, and then by the end of it, it's turned completely pink. Oh, yeah, you're right. It has. And the water droplet, this is the first of several references to water that will become very relevant in a little while. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, the whole toga and water thing is strung throughout this movie. And as soon as she takes the ring, she starts to see petals falling all around her. And rather than just being a thematic element, this is diegetic. It's happening around her. And so she looks up and they are falling off of the platform that is just cantilevered out over the void. (laughs) (laughs) It is like, the mo- it is the most flying of flying buttresses that is holding up this staircase. <laughs> it is the biggest safety hazard in this moving platform school. It is the not Rose Garden OSHA- is it is not OSHA approved. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the Rose Garden is not OSHA compliant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nor is it forklift certified. And we will see later that falling from high places is a legitimate danger at this school. Really? Nothing? <laughs> that got uh, that's nothing. It. That's it. <laughs> I mean, we could just leave that hanging in suspense. That's what uh, we call foreshadowing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. So, yeah. So what does Zutana do next? She goes up there. Because that's the logical thing to do. In the most insulting way possible. She takes an elevator to the stairs and then still has to take the stairs the rest of the way. (laughs) Listen, not everything in high school makes sense. All right, you guys. (laughs) So is this when is this when she comes up to the platform and Anthe's like standing on the corner of it? Yes, this is our meet cute. Okay. But she's standing on the corner, very reminiscent of how she stood um, on the corner at the show. When she threw herself off? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. No, like that, that is not a subtle connection. <laughs> yep. That is almost a shot for shot framing of her standing on the ledge. And when Utana gets up there, uh, 
suddenly Anthony's in the middle of the platform just watering the roses and pretending like that was never a thing that happened or that she was contemplating at all. Um, Is there any symbolism there with that same arch being there that's from the show's duelist platform and it being like kind of broken? That's an excellent question. What do you think it signifies? I mean, so the broken tower, the broken arch, and the broken birdcage remnants with the rose grave. Um, that's where, like, the basis of my, this has to be really far in the future. Like, after our Anthe left and went out into the world, and now here we are again sometime later with, like, reincarnated versions of the characters or alternate reality versions of the characters um learning the lesson again but hopefully with a different outcome um i meant to ask you that was one of my lingering questions from ending the show what was the significance of the arch being closed and open in the different episodes Because there was one episode pretty early on that I pointed out that the arch was opened. And you were like, oh, shit, that's right. And I never really figured out what the significance of that was. Oh, um, what I was trying to say with that is later on in the show, it opens so that Akio's car can drive in. Oh, okay. And like, I had forgotten that like early on in the show that it had also opened that way. Okay. Um, even like before the car was introduced. I want to say one other thing about like this meet cute moment. Anthe's Bindi is also way clearer in the movie than it was in the show. Mm -hmm. So like if you were one of those people who somehow managed to ignore Anthe's race the entire time, they're not letting you get away with that this time. (laughs) Yeah. And it is abundantly clear here that Anthe and Utna are an interracial couple. The only thing I can think of the broken arch being is just one of the many things that's a reflection of Anthe and already giving us a hint at her like emotional state. Or that like, like everything here is in its own way collapsing. Yeah. Because it's a it's a monument to the past. It's not meant to be a current thing. It's not growing. It is at best being maintained. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. So like you have this broken arch that has been fused back together again. Like it wasn't made this way. It was reassembled this way. Because it broke at some point and they just had to put it back together with the pieces they had rather than making a new one. They have a new tower that is propping up the corpse of the old tower. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I think it, it's meant to be evocative of ruins without actually being a ruin. Yeah. So Anthe sees the ring... And is shocked by it. And Utina names it as uh, the Rose Crest. And Anthe is genuinely upset that Utina knows this name. Like, she knows what it is. Um, 
I read this as like, oh no, here is a living person coming here with the power to change things. My perfect garden will be ruined because I can't predict what will happen next. See, I interpreted this moment of Anthe grabbing Utena's wrist and lunging for the ring as her attempt to seize power, to have some sort of agency, because can you imagine what she would be like as a duelist herself? I mean, for me, this is like the allusion to the ending where she's in the driver's seat, taking her power and using it to leave. Like she, when nobody is around except her and this new girl or new person, because she doesn't know their gender at this point, when nobody's around, she lunges for the ability to try and do something about her fate. She also says something incredibly telling. I'm the headmaster's sister, so I get special treatment. But in reality, I'm the one held captive by the roses here. She tells it how it is straight up from the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) We also get like a fight club element of that, of like the things you own, own you. (laughs) Yeah. This is sort of reminding me of a later scene um, when... uh, Utena is trying to leave the platform and Anthe is trying to pull her back. It's where the um, the, the car wash happens and Anthe actually pulls the ring off. Mm-hmm. Just to speak to your point. Yeah. Yeah. So then Sionji arrives and we get like a really extended back and forth basically <laughs> establishing that Utena doesn't understand the rules of the dueling and Sionji being a dick and not actually explaining them. He is fully willing to take advantage of the fact that Utena doesn't know what she's doing in order to beat her. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so in a callback to the show, she picks up a bamboo stick to fight with instead of uh, an actual sword. But it's not like even a practice sword this time. Like, it's just a bamboo stick. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, the gate behind them comes crashing down to show the remainder of it, the picture on it, which is a rose. Yeah. All right. And are, <laughs> this might just be a me thing, but are we not going to talk about how in this scene, when Sionji has Anthe pulled really close to him, he literally like has her head in his mouth. You, yeah. It, <laughs> her hair is animated in his mouth, which is mm-hmm. just such... Like an egregious crossing of boundaries. Oh, yeah. It's the full possession. Yeah. He reminds everyone she's the Rose Bride. He can do anything he wants with her. Mm-hmm. Her feelings, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. Just like in the show, he's never even considered it. And unlike the show, Sionji never gets any meaningful character growth. No. <laughs> <laughs> he just has like some kind of. <laughs> revelation that turns him around at the end begrudgingly and Utena says it like it is she's like wait a second is there a girl that actually likes being traded like property (laughs) do you hear yourself dude (laughs) how have you convinced yourself that anyone is okay with this arrangement Uh, and they fight and her hat gets knocked off and her hair spills out 
And because boys can't have long hair, he realizes she's a girl. <laughs> well, I think a button or something also got knocked off of her shirt because you kind of see boobs for a little bit there. Not full boob, but you see cleavage. Yeah. And he's like, long hair and boobs, girl. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, I never said I was a boy, dude. <laughs> <laughs> that was your mistake, not mine. <laughs> so suddenly she beats her around and Anthe dives in to save her. And she kisses Utena and in the, in doing so becomes the bride and gives Utena the sword of Dios. Because they're just good friends. Yep. Yeah. It is a totally platonic kiss. <laughs> This is the first scene of our gal pals, um, best friends. Just best friends doing girl things. <laughs> Just a totally platonic kiss for the homies. <laughs> so uh, she wins the duel with one thrust from the Sword of Dios because Simon, she's a one pump chump. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no further comment. <laughs> <laughs> it was so Carly. Yeah, the joke was so good that it knocked shit off the desk. <laughs> it did I? I was keeping my notes on a whiteboard, and when I bent over, my whiteboard like flipped up and hit me in the face. It was very <laughs> the, dramatic. It's like the the joke equivalent of like spirit power in like any fighting anime, where just like the sheer force of will of my joke. <laughs> It was so powerful. It just like went through the the internet and knocked shit off of Carly's desk. Yes, <laughs> the part exactly. of the cards came through once that's again. Exactly what happened. It's not killing intent. It's joking intent, and it's so powerful. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm gonna be okay. Are you? I'm gonna recover from this. <laughs> so, the scene transition away from this is our first very explicit reference to the drowning, which is we see air bubbles underwater. And a shoe right at the very end. Mm -hmm. And we fade from that to the dorms. Oh, a room with walls. <laughs> the only one. <laughs> the only room with walls. <laughs> For just girly things shenanigans. I'm honestly a little surprised that the dorm room isn't just like another platform that is far enough away from everything to have privacy. <laughs> you know, good point. So Utana has a photo of her and Toga where she was genuinely happy. It, like it's a nice couples photo. And then just like in the show, Anthe shows up <laughs> and just like lets herself in. Yeah. Like she knocks on the door Utena answers, and then she just walks inside. <laughs> and then we have this, like, coy little moment of, hey, I didn't say you could be here. And she's like, okay, I'll go. And so Utena just pulls her onto the bed. Again, yeah. completely Zero to a <laughs> <to> hundred <laughs> difference between the show and the movie. <laughs> they gave us a kiss already. And a scene on the bed and it's only been like 10 minutes in it's 22 <laughs> minutes in yeah yeah <laughs> 
at the 22 minute mark of the show, we were just starting the credits after Utena handed Sayonji his ass for the first time. <laughs> we already have a kiss and sharing secrets in bed. Yep. You know, Anthe goes on to like actually explain the rules of the duel. And it's cute. They're holding hands and Utena tells her to call her Utena with no honorific. Mm-hmm. So she's unlike in the show, she's not Utena Sama. She's just mm-hmm. Utena. And we're poking fun at this, but, you know, this is how fast lesbians move in relationships. So <laughs> <laughs> once they figure out they're attracted to each other, like that's the important caveat there. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Because <laughs> you can orbit one another for a very long time, not realizing that you have a mutual crush. Mm hmm. You just think that, like, you're close friends. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then you have this all of a sudden fallout that's really devastating and, like, has long-term consequences, like people leaving the school. I'm not speaking from personal experience. Anyway. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> you really went there. Wow. You really did. Listen, two-thirds of this podcast is gay. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> It's it's pretty much it's pretty much all thirds of this podcast are gay and occasionally there's some sprinkling of heterosexuality whenever we have you on board as a guest, Carly. Now you're a token straight person? Yes. I mean, okay. I think at this point you truly are my only straight friend. Oh my god. Yeah, I mean, you're kind of in that same range for me. <laughs> we love you you all too <laughs> anyway you know what they say when you're the only straight friend um <laughs> no yeah i was about to say carly's like no <laughs> what, are you what that means <laughs> just gonna leave it at that so <laughs> what <laughs> Every- everybody's a little gay at least that's my theory but <sighs> the, okay, so Carly, the joke is that <laughs> <laughs> enlighten for, me, please. For a lot of queer people, they have this experience of being the only straight one in all of their friends until like it hits them finally. Like, oh, ah, uh, yeah, no, I'm gay too. <laughs> yep, that was my experience. <laughs> Also, I full-on snorted. I don't know if the microphone caught that. Listen. <laughs> Listen, no shame. I hope the microphone is not catching all of my, my laugh snorting because it gets a little out of control sometimes. Oh, it's fine. So, <laughs> Anthe comments on how thin Utena is. And Utena's like, do you do this with everybody? Because <laughs> like, not- <laughs> now Utena's getting real... Uh, real anxious about Anthe's body count. <laughs> Not Anthe going, OMG, you're so skinny. Let me fill you up. Girl! <laughs> <laughs> this might be the gayest moment in this movie. <laughs> Gayer than when they leave naked on the motorcycle together. Well, that's just gals being pals. Right, exactly. There's <laughs> nothing gay about that at all. <laughs> so Utena tells her to get out. Because she can't handle her feelings yet. And 
what does Anthe do? She checks the closet with the picture of Toga. <laughs> yeah, her response to get out of my place is, hey, what's in your closet? Hmm, <laughs> lots of girly things in here. And it's interesting, right? Like, why does Utana still have all of these dresses if that's not how she wants to dress right now? I guess I take it as, like, not being able to, like, let go of the past still. Because one of those dresses, I think, is the one that she took the picture with Toga in. Yeah. The the yellow one. The one that Mm -hmm. Anthe pulls out of the closet. Yeah, I think that this gives us a much deeper and more well-rounded picture of Utana. Like, she isn't just the girl who wears a boy's uniform anymore. Like, she's a bit more secure in her own femininity that her masculine side is just a side. It's not her defining characteristic. She hasn't built her entire identity around this aspect of herself. She's like, yeah, it's a part of me. And it makes her a much more complete person as a character. Yeah. That like she can wear this uniform around and not feel diminished by owning these dresses either. She's like three years after coming out gay. (laughs) Or honestly, I kind of interpret it a little bit of um, like just gender fluidity, gender fluid identity kind of thing. Yeah. Um, the next scene after this, we have Shiori and Toga talking. And I just want to point out, I take notes on my phone and my phone autocorrected Shiori to Shirley, which is fucking hilarious. <laughs> um, this movie does a lot with uh, cloth and uh, like dramatic reveal by pulling cloth off of a thing. Um, to show a new aspect of the scene or reveal something that was hidden to the audience. Um, <clears throat> in this particular scene, it looks like um, a house that's been abandoned. That kind of vibe where it's like cloth has been thrown up the furniture to protect it. Um, and slowly cloth is removed from different pieces and things. Um, I think at first it's Shiori. And then it's Toga sitting in a chair, like the cloth yeah. is pulled off and he's sitting in yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> and then they pull the cloth off a painting and it's a painting of Anthea as the Rose Bride. Mm-hmm. And they're talking and this whole time Toga's been talking and then they reveal him under the, under the sheet in the chair. And he's telling the story of the time when the prince was killed. And he drowned, or she's telling the story about when the prince was killed and drowned saving her friend. And she says, I'll never forgive her. I'll make her be the prince. Which is a interesting, like, mix of pronouns here. Of, like, the idea that Shiori wants Utana to be the prince so that Anthe will forever be trapped here. As like this Rube Goldberg revenge plot. (laughs) (laughs) Which is why, like, if you have not seen the show, I cannot imagine how this movie makes sense. Yeah. So this kind of implies, because she says, my prince and I were supposed to go steady, but he went missing. 
So did Shiori have a crush on Toga before he died? I think that's what's being implied here. That like the unnamed boy that came between Juri and Shiori in the show in the movie is Toga. And now Utna is part of this love triangle. <laughs> okay. Which is now like a love square. Yeah. <laughs> Or rather, a love tetrahedron. Because <laughs> there's four points to it, and it's three-dimensional, and it's not, like, quite transitive like a square. Like, yeah, anyway. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so I have to I have to tell you all something. Okay. This, this is now the moment. I was waiting to see when this would come up. So I don't know how you all keep your notes for this, but my notes are a little chaotic, and... Um, Today, I decided that I wanted to make an Ikuhara bingo board as my notes. Oh, and, my God. And so I had every square filled in except one. And that's because I needed to write in a love tetrahedron. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> now my bingo board is complete. I have to know what are the other things on the yeah, bingo what, board. What's all on the bingo board? I mean, I guess I could tell you now, or I could tell you as the things come up. Do you have a preference? Uh, share them as they come up. Yeah, and then okay, you'll have to send a picture so I can actually like put it on the the Twitter feed. Yeah, of course, of course. Some some of them are a little questionable because I was realizing as I was thinking of them that like some of Ikuhara's uh, shows I have not seen in like a few years. So they weren't as fresh, but we just finished Mawaru Penguin Drum like, I don't know, a month or two ago. So those were pretty, uh, pretty easy to pick out, but I will send you a picture of it. Please continue. I will interject when appropriate. <laughs> I'll also add that the painting um, of Anthe as the Rose Bride has a lot of, again, like stark lines, almost like razor blades like blood red razor blade it's just very like sharp pointy a lot of red um fits in with the topic that shiori is talking about and the animosity that she holds towards anthe um the scene after this is all of the girls of the class cleaning the p floor of a pool which is, seems so odd and out of place, but the so, whole time this movie is trying to be like, hey, somebody drowned. <laughs> yeah, so the fact that they're cleaning the pool is not an accidental inclusion in terms of like another piece of water imagery. Uh, the actual cleaning part, that's fairly normal. Um, right. Because like one of the things with Japanese schools is to teach like custodianship of the world around you is to engage you in cleaning the school and taking care of the environment of the school uh, as a part of being a student like part of being a student is learning how to take care of the space around you which i think is a fantastic lesson and i think that should be included in american schools right yeah no that is a lot that... about japanese schools that i would never want to have to experience um, this part is, is something that should be brought over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that part wasn't what was odd to me. It's just the fact that only the girls are doing it. 
Yeah, you know what? There are, are there any boys in this school other than Sionji, Toga, and Mickey? There are. You they're shown. They're shown in background shots, and they're even shown around the perimeter of the pool here. But they're literally just making the the girls do all the work in this particular instance. Which I mean, we just got done talking about, um, like misogyny and male privilege in Utena. I feel like this is a demonstration of that. Just interesting that it was kind of shown here in this particular scene. Also, Wakaba, like, I don't know, somehow mentally downloaded the duel that just happened and, like, picks up a broom and tries to fight another girl with it like it's a sword. Just completely unprompted. Nobody's told her about the duel. Like, she just went to bed, dreamt about it, woke up the next morning and was like, yeah, I want to fight now. (laughs) So more water imagery. Utena is drinking from a drinking fountain while Toga talks to her. And Utena says, aren't you also trying to win the Rose Bride? Like, isn't that why you're here too, if you have a ring? And then an interesting thing happens. This is where Toga calls out to Anthe. And Anthe responds. So we don't get that usual he's a ghost thing of only the character who's grieving can see the ghost. Toga the ghost can also interact with Anthe, which I think also connects to just the idea that, you know, there's like that whole witch thing for her, but also that because this is her sepulcher, this is her monument to death. Everyone else's experiences with death are tangible to her. I mean, she's also called a living corpse later on. Because she's a vampire. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously. Uh, Vampires eat hair in this universe. Um, No, but she's called a living corpse. I, again, I think you're right in that. People who have had brushes with death or have seen it firsthand, like seen somebody die in front of them, are the ones that can see those who have moved on, those who have passed on to the other side. And interestingly enough, as they're talking, she addresses him in a familiar way that implies that he is not a new person to her. Anthe knows who Toga is. They don't need to be introduced. Hmm. I didn't catch that. Also, interestingly, another clue was laid here that I missed, but makes total sense now. Um, A hose pipe bursts and water gets all over Utena and Anthe. And there's like no water on Togo whatsoever. But he like takes a handkerchief and then tries to clean, uh, clean up Anthe, I believe. So he has, like, some sway over this realm. Like, he can interact with it in some ways. But he's still a ghost. He is still dead. Well, if this is in Auntie's mind, then she can make him act however she wants. Yeah. Or, if this is her realm, she could give power to whoever or whatever she wants. Yeah, I mean, yeah, technically. So then we get, like, hints of the true plot here with a phone call with the prince where he's talking about uh, or with Akio, I guess, um, where he's talking about how 
His sister imprisoned the Rose Prince, and why did she do it? And then we get the scene with the mob, except it's done a little differently here. Um, there isn't like the, you know, the mob outside a barn. Like <laughs> it's all modern day, or whatever time period this all is supposed to be. Um, like the mob is at the door of the elevator. Anthea is in the elevator <laughs> in this one. It's not uh, the barn. It's not like the pile of hay. And he says that his sister was a witch, but there was actually another secret. The truth was that the prince, in this case, was the Lord of the Flies. And he says, when my sister's magic faded, the prince returned to his true self. And so Toga says, I think it's Toga, that says, "You so you set this up to regain the magic that was lost. Yeah, and then he says, but I'll be the one to gain it in the end. Mm-hmm. But like, did he? Because he's six feet under this whole time. We come to find out later. So like, did Akio set this up? Or is it more so just that like, the charade has been put on for so long that nobody knows why they're doing it anymore. They just do it. So one thing I, I want to, I don't want to move on from without like actually discussing the Lord of the flies. Like that is the translation of the name Beelzebub. Oh, wow. So that's the second mention of a devil. Yeah. In this movie iteration. Beelzebub is the Lord of the Flies. Um, which you could also connect it to um, uh, the the Golding novel about the kids um, with the pig's head and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where <laughs> I, my brain went. <laughs> um, I mean, sure, because like we know that Akio is already dead and his body is swarming with flies we could make that association as well. But also like from the show, Akio was comparing himself to Lucifer frequently. Mm-hmm. And here and then- we have him being compared to another devil, Beelzebub. Which I think in some stories is called a prince of hell. So there's also that. Oh yeah. Uh, anything that has ever been known as a demon to- or a devil in uh, Christianity or Judaism usually has its own lengthy history behind the name. Oh yeah. Like even the conflation of Lucifer and Satan, that's a fairly modern thing. There's a ton of names that get thrown around and the modern ideas are a lot of those just like mashed together. (laughs) Yeah, but they all had their own histories before being mashed together or named as devils or demons or princes of hell or anything else. Mm -hmm. But yes, here we have him being compared to a devil once again. And it just flying under the radar. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody in the show, they're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And they just move on, just accept it and move on. So interestingly... Right after this, we get the scene of Mickey and Kozue in the bath and just brother sister things, <laughs> just sibling things. <laughs> I mean, I don't have siblings, I can only assume that this is what siblings do. 
I will be honest. <coughs> of all of the Mickey and Cozaway shit that happens between the show and this, <coughs> this scene actually does read as the most platonic of them. <laughs> yeah. I, I, the fact that they are naked in a bathtub, notwithstanding, like, the level of intimacy there is like it doesn't feel romantic the way it does with say Utsna and Anthe when they're naked you know it just doesn't have the same vibe for me yeah I'm not sure I've ever gotten turned on by somebody else tweezing my eyebrows either (laughs) (laughs) oh she's not even not tweezing yeah she's not tweezing she's taking a straight razor to him (laughs) 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 which that is a level of trust I don't know that I have with anyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, straight racers are no joke. <laughs> Including myself. I don't think I trust myself <laughs> with a straight razor in the vicinity of my eyes. <laughs> oh yeah, hell no. I mean, no. even on my legs. Hell no. Mickey is saying something in this scene about uh, kind of alluding to like they're growing up in a part they can't like be the way that they were back in the days of their garden. I think he says something like that. Um, to which Cozaway does not take that very well. Um, makes sense given her character. And she like pulls him back in the bathtub and then puts the razor to his throat yeah. and calls him a traitor. <laughs> and then we just move on from that scene entirely. <laughs> Right. That yeah, is the to only backstory we ever get with them. We don't find out about the Sunlit Garden. We know I don't think we ever hear the song. No. All we get is this bathtub scene with the two of them. And the only way that you know that they are siblings is if you've seen the show. <laughs> There's a line at the very beginning of the movie when Wakaba's um telling Utana about the duel and like the different characters that are there. She does mention Mickey and that he has a twin sister. Oh, and okay. She's why um, he doesn't have a girlfriend yet because she just kind of gets in the way every time. <laughs> um, but like she says that in the background of Utana seeing Toga and then coming out of like, her reverie of seeing him, that rush of feelings about it. That's when that's said. Like, I wouldn't have even caught that had I not gone back and watched that scene for something else. So, (laughs) yeah, other than that and the fact that they both have blue hair, like, you never would have known. So, like, this entire chapter is just backstory, backstory, backstory. Because right after this, Toga and Shiori are telling stories in bed. And this is where we find out about Toga having been sold by his uh, father to other men for sex. So this scene, I understand why it was put into the movie because it gives more backstory and context that we as the viewers did not know before this. I don't understand, though, why, like, the Mickey and Cozaway scene was included. <laughs> like, what relevance did that even have other than to just establish that they were siblings? But that, like, never... You do not see Cozaway after this scene. 
It's what keeps Anthe up at night, Chesney. I mean, <laughs> I'm just totally running with this whole thing has played out in Anthe's head. This is what she thinks about. She thinks about Kozaway and Mickey and what they're doing. I, th- I think that it shows that all of the duelists have some hang up the same way that they do in the show. Because, uh, like, we find this out about about Mickey, that his attachment to Kozaway is a problematic part of his life. Um, we see much more obliquely, but more frequently, the ways in which Juri and uh, Juri and Shiori have a toxic relationship or non-relationship. Um, and so, like, it's just kind of like rapid fire giving us the backstories of the the characters from the show that we had whole episodes about. Here we get like a scene. <laughs> and yeah. the scene has to do a lot of work very quickly to establish their character. So I then- just think it's interesting because they could have left Mickey as a background character, given that he really does like nothing in this movie. Like Sionji, Jury, and Toga have way more um have way more responsibility and action in this than Mickey ever does. God bless him. <laughs> so, but going back to the the Toga bit, um Toga is telling this story about like what happened in his childhood. And very interestingly, he says, I lost a lot, but it meant I could participate in the dueling game. So like there's a piece of it that with the time removed from when he was experiencing it, he's like, yeah, what happened to me wasn't great, but who I am now, I owe to what I went through, which is a way that you can see, um, like we talk a lot about uh, post-traumatic stress, but there's also a related experience, which is post-traumatic resilience, post-traumatic growth, where not everyone goes through traumatic experiences and comes out of it with, you know, a disorder of some kind, whether that is flawed attachments or um, anxiety or depression. Um, sometimes you can come out of it with a renewed sense of meaning or determination. And, it, and from this one moment, we kind of get that with Toga. Like, we see in the show the way that his experience fucked up his relationships and his identity and his, like, ways of relating to other people. In the movie, we see it as him attributing some of his determination to that. And then going back to the cloth thing around uh, Shiori, we have this really fascinating, almost like a henshin sequence (laughs) where, uh, like, her back sprouts bed sheets and then they become wings and then she becomes a butterfly. Like the reverse of what happens in the elevator in the show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then she like flies as this butterfly to the version of Toga that's experiencing or reliving this traumatic experience, which is just all kinds of trippy. <laughs> But she also is using this moment 
of getting close to him to try and recruit him to her cause. Like she wants him to challenge jury as a duelist. And he's like, fine, I'll do it, but I won't be cruel to her. And that bothers Shiori because Shiori apparently just wants to fuck Jury's shit up. Yep. <laughs> uh, Shiori also draws a, a crocodile peeing on his back. <laughs> which is a callback to the beginning of the movie when uh, the Shadow Girls were talking about having broken up with their boyfriend over um, drawing on his back. <laughs> yeah. Which is also foreshadowing that later on we find out that uh, Eco and Fco are Utana and Anthe. <laughs> <laughs> but um, speaking of foreshadowing, the next scene takes place with Jury and Mickey talking about everything in a garage. And we can see like hundreds of cars in this garage. And one of the cars that we see is Kozuei. And at this point in the movie, as weird as some of the symbolism is and as fluid as the architecture is, there's still like some grounding in reality. Enough that when you first see this, you can just assume that it's Kozuei's car and that she has a custom plate. I totally missed that, by the way. I did I not did see that. What I did notice, though, is something that made it to my Ikuhara bingo board that I did not bring up earlier, but it's the the use of the color red, and that's something that you see kind of throughout his work, but there's like a point in that scene where Mickey and Jury pass by a rubber duck that's lying sideways on the ground, and it looks like there's a little puddle of water around it, but the way the light is hitting the duck, it could also be, you know, interpreted as blood. And if we if we back up a little bit to some of the shots of the architecture of the staircases in that scene where Utana and Anthe are at the swimming pool, they haven't colored in the red all the way, and so every time I see it, I think, wow, the stairs are just like spattered in blood. That's so <laughs> disturbing. But of course, as you zoom in, it becomes more saturated with color. Um, and going back to that duck, they are talking about um, obtaining power as the camera pans over to this sad little <laughs> thing on the ground that I, I swear it, it looks like it's in a puddle of blood back it up if you don't believe me um and then you see that the the red light is from a headlight on presumably one of those cars and it closes as they're talking yeah but the headlights look like eyes yeah they, i was gonna you know, say they're, they're very creepy they look so much like eyeballs and the other thing is it lights up i think because it senses the spirit of the prince there and they like look up and see him there and then he fades all of a sudden and then that's when the eye closes and then like as another hint about where this is going they talk about this leading to the end of the world which we will find is you know these cars are the way out although these cars specifically will get in the way of that 
You have to drive away from here to get out. Also, when Juri is talking in this, she says, I want power so I can be free of everything that constrains me. And they talk about it for a little bit. And then all of a sudden she just goes, do we have to talk about these unromantic things? And I was like, are Juri and Mickey together? I mean, Juri certainly wants to be. (laughs) With Mickey? I mean, do you see how she moves in on him? Yeah. (laughs) I was like, oh shit, Jury's just going for everybody. (laughs) See, I I read that as just like how close the two of them are as friends. Just friends. Just friends? (laughs) (laughs) Nobody is just friends in this show, Autumn. No one. (laughs) Everybody's crossing lines. So Shiori does show up, though. Like, she says that she felt lonely. And that uh, she wanted to see Jury, which we all know is just like her saying whatever she wants to get Jury wrapped around her finger. Mm-hmm. And like this is where her conversation with Toga comes into play. Like we see her manipulating this situation because she knows about duelists in a way that only the duelists should know about. And this is where like the pillow talk becomes relevant. Mm-hmm. Because now she's using that knowledge to fuck with Jury. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I know other things too. <laughs> also, interestingly, it shows the locket here. Um, not like one of them is wearing it, but just a shot to the locket kind of twisting and turning in the light. And Shiori talks about how she knows about Utena. That she likes Toga. That's why she stubbornly dresses like a boy. And they all just kind of agree that it's wrong for someone like that to get the power to revolutionize the world. Where again, they're reinforcing these gender stereotypes and gender rules peer to peer. So just in like the interest of time, we can't like... So the next scene is quite possibly the most beautiful scene in this entire movie. Um, Utena finds Anthe in the Rose Garden, and Utena expresses her grief over Toga, and Anthe responds to it by cutting the water main (laughs) (laughs) and flooding the Rose Garden while Utena um, sleeps off her grief. And Utena wakes up in, like, this water that is reflecting the stars above and there's roses all around her. And it's just one of the most gorgeous shots. Like it feels like this was the image that drove the entire aesthetic of the movie. This scene, this dance, the song Tokini Aiwa plays and it is an unspeakably gorgeous scene. And they seem genuinely happy as they dance together, you know, with what's showing above being them in their like transformed duelist outfits. But what's showing in the reflection below is their like actual school uniforms, which is interesting that they interplayed it that way instead of vice versa. But yeah, they seem genuinely happy dancing together. And I think we get to see a glimpse of the castle for the first time. Yeah, like, we know what we're seeing with the 
stars that are like the constellation of stars that are a little brighter than everything else. Like we know that's the windows of the castle. And after this, we get another infamous scene. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Before we go there, another another point on my bingo board is uh, Ikuhara's use of liminal reality plot points. So what I mean is like when significant things happen, they don't seem to happen in the real world. Um, like, for example, in Mawaro Penguin Drum, there's a lot of uh, really important scenes that happen in like a train that's going nowhere or like up in the sky in this, you know, random space. And I feel like this is one of those scenes and there's like a bunch of other scenes throughout that like you're not really sure where they are as they're happening. Yeah, like in um in Sarah's on my all the stuff that happens in the elevator that like is mm-hmm. no longer an elevator as it's moving. <laughs> Right. Um, yeah, there. Everything happens in these like non spaces. Yeah that that was the whole point. Then we get the draw me like one of your French girls scene. <laughs> yep. <laughs> they go up to the chairman's uh, residence in order to get some privacy for um, drawing one another for art class, and Utana starts out by drawing Anthe and apologizes for yelling at her the night before. Um. And then she's like, she starts this conversation about how if they are going to be together, they should know more about each other. And Utana is saying this as like, we should know more of one another's like thoughts, feelings, history, that like, kind of thing. Share no secrets. Yeah. And Anthe. The, and this is like a very telling thing about sexual abuse. Anthe interprets this as, oh, if we're not hiding anything, we should be naked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, like, when a sexualized minor responds in a way like that, it's very telling about what they went through. And so, uh, they, uh, Anthe abruptly says let's switch places and at some point in this switch has convinced Utana to strip and Utana's like this isn't really fair and again the over sexualized piece Anthe responds to this not by saying okay fine put your clothes back on she responds by disrobing herself mm-hmm. mm-hmm. which- as like Utana's putting on a jacket by the way <laughs> like of her own accord yeah and so like it's hard for me with like my counseling background to see this scene as anything like sapphic or wholesomely lesbian like this to me is just like screaming a a, like molested child (laughs) yeah Mm. like i can't not see the trauma in that reaction to hey let's do this thing (laughs) i also interpreted this as um anthe basically going this is what you're asking me to do with you like by asking me to be this level of vulnerable this is this is what this means this is how this comes across to me and through the lens like Like they're equivalent sexual yeah through the lens of like you said the sexual abuse like that makes so much sense that her 
brain goes there. Yeah, like I'm thinking like the equivalence there too of for you being physically naked is uncomfortable. For me, telling my story is as uncomfortable for me as being naked is for you. Right. So yeah, like on an artistic level, there's that. On that other level, my brain just does not switch off and is like, girl, what happened to you? <laughs> yeah. And of course we know. We find out in a bit. Yeah, there's also like this heightening music going on in the background. And as Anthe is naked, she says, like, I'll teach you the lesson why everyone wants the Rose Bride. Oh, me. It's not, it's not music, though. It's a jet engine starting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Utena looks behind her and sees all of a sudden this painting of Anthe naked come into view and looks back at Anthe and Anthe is showing her, hey, I've got this giant sword shaped hole in my chest. Right. Like right where the sword comes out of. Yeah. Cut to the shadow girls. (laughs) (laughs) Rather than have Anthe tell the story, the shadow girls tell the story Via a scandalous videotape, which the first tape they play is just Nanami and Choo Choo. <laughs> and that weird alligator thing that Shiori drew. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that never gets resolved. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Im- imagine you are Nanami's voice actress. <laughs> and they contact you and say, hey, we're doing an Utana movie. We want you back to play Nanami and they bring you into the studio and the only thing they ask you to do is make cow sounds. I don't have an intelligent thing to say about the scene itself. I just want you as a listener to just think of that experience. <laughs> Your old job calls you back and is like, hey, we just want you to moo into a mic real quick. <laughs> Yeah, this is definitely a scene that would make absolutely no sense at all unless you had seen the show. You wouldn't even know who the cow is. I feel like this is a scene that if Sigmund Freud were alive, he would eat this shit up like candy. I mean, it even includes Choo Choo peeing on Nanami. Which is why he would eat that shit up like candy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Choo Choo and the little crocodile. Which, like, why? But anyway. Yeah. So something I've noticed about the the animals in Ikuhara animes in general is that unlike just being like a cute sidekick, the animals are metaphors for what are happening to their humans. This made it to my bingo board. <laughs> <laughs> but then I realized, well, that's only in the show. That didn't really happen in the movie, but... I don't know. This whole scene just seems very cryptic to me. Almost like they were going to do something else with it and it just never happened. Well, to go off of your point, uh, that's definitely the case in uh, Moaru Penguin Drum. Mm -hmm. Where the penguins absolutely are reflecting whatever like subtext or whatever subconscious thing is going on with the boys. Uh, Less so uh, less so with Himari, but still present. 
Yeah. And then like and then Esmeralda is just a gem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then with uh I mean with Sarah's on my that that's a little different. The boys are They are their alter like, egos. Yeah. <laughs> um and this is where I admit I have not yet seen Yurikuma Arashi as of the recording of this episode. You do know we're watching that next, right? Oh, absolutely. At least you and me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, Chesney and I are going to be doing more Penguin Drum next for the yes! show. Yes! <laughs> Which is why you and I watched it again together. Because like, I had to brush up on it because I haven't seen it since it broadcast. <laughs> yeah, this is where the rounds of evangelizing come in carly like you're evangelized first like you're <laughs> the guinea pig <laughs> and then it's my turn <laughs> fascinating i mean you had just finished utana together by the time autumn and i were starting this podcast so I mean, there was like a two-year gap in there. But. I don't know if it was just finished, but well, but I'm pretty sure I did. W- did I watch it? No, never mind. I was gonna say, did I watch it again? But I actually didn't. I could have no. sworn y'all had just finished it. No, no. What had happened was Carly had come up here to visit, and we finally watched the movie together. That's ah, okay. Because like I had seen the movie many times before, but Carly had never seen it apparently. Um. Where, I where would the, I have seen this? <laughs> I don't know. But I was under the impression that you had seen it first. Um. Same. <laughs> nah. No way. And this I, is like, this is not content that I would stumble upon by myself. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm just like desperate to figure out which of my friends it is that saw the movie first. Because somebody I know saw the movie first. Maybe it was Jess, because I swear I remember all of us talking about it. Hold on. I'm going to message Jess on the group chat and see. (laughs) (laughs) Because now I need an answer to this. But yeah, I don't really know what the weight of having Nanami as the cow or like the symbolism or meaning. But I don't know that there's any meaning or symbolism in that scene to be honest (laughs) which begs the question why did they leave it in why was it important (laughs) enough to hand draw this and leave it in the film (laughs) i kind of think that it's just like uh the broken tower and the uh and the remnants or remains of the birdcage the old rose garden um, as well as a couple other things. I think it's just a nod, like Ikuhara just going, hey, if you watch the show, I see you. And then so moving it's, on. <laughs> it's fan service. Yeah, I think like, so. Here's for all our, our Nanami friends out here. You get two minutes. Goodbye. <laughs> and it also comes directly at like the midpoint of the movie. Mm. So if there was ever going to be an intermission. <laughs> yeah, that's true fair i mean choo choo is even relieving himself on nanami's face so if you need <laughs> yeah. to pee now is, they're clearly signaling now is the time to go yeah nanami is snorting the weird alligator and choo choo 
if you if you need to go <laughs> you need to go start some cocaine, now is the time. Oh my god! <laughs> Just doing a pump of yeah. <laughs> oh my god! So yeah, clearly that's not the actual scandalous tape. No, but there is an actual scandalous tape, and it includes our good friend Akio. Hmm. <laughs> Our our good dear friend Akio. Hmm. You know, just the the good guy that he is, drugging his sister. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So first, it starts out with him uh, getting out of the car with Kanae. So clearly establishing that like they are a couple, even in the movie. Uh, and then he actually addresses the shadow girls at one point. He tells them the car doesn't go. And that means, or that prompts the shadow girls to then question whether or not this is real. <laughs> <laughs> and so this is the scene where he gets in the taxi and goes to, and takes the taxi because the car doesn't start. Yes. Um, yes. Well, because and- he can't find the key, right? Does he state that that early on? He says he lost the key, and so the car doesn't start, and so he has to take a cab. But that's when it cuts to the scene where he drugs and assaults Anthe. And as it's happening, uh, it skips, almost like a record skipping. Wasn't there also a thing in there where uh, Utena was dueling jury, or did that Mm -hmm. happen after? That was right after. Yeah, that's immediately after. So we don't even get a chance to process this scene before it cuts to the duel with Jury. You know, in usual Utana fashion, we don't get a chance to process anything. (laughs) We do have Anthe and Utana kissing as she draws the sword out. Uh, Oh. Yeah, it happens in silhouette. Um, and And then Shiori gives Jury her sword. The same way that she did with Ruka in the show. Except Ruka doesn't exist here because he's dead. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I would just like... There's only so much screen time here. (laughs) I would just like to have a a moment to acknowledge uh, the quality henshin of Utena grabbing the sword and her hair grows like three feet. Incredible. (laughs) (laughs) Like, if I was a magical girl, I would want that to occur. (laughs) (laughs) I am the wild card on the show, so you can't expect me to, like, keep with the plot. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) I was kind of surprised that, like, Shiori left pretty much immediately after the duel started. That's not usually what happens in duels. Whether in the show or so far in the movie. That's because she doesn't really care about the outcome of this one. Yeah. I don't know. I just thought they were held to some weird rule or something. You must stay while your opponent's in the ring. You know, like something like that. Well, I'm I'm guessing that she assumes that Jury is going to just manhandle Utena <laughs> the same way that she did in the show. And so then we get like the, the stuff with uh, Nikki and Toga where Toga is standing right next to Mickey. And this is the first clue that we get that he's actually dead. You know, like, it's 
there if you're if you know what to look for but this is the first moment where if you are just watching this for the first time something is up with him because as soon as toga's name gets brought up which jury is throwing in utina's face uh mickey asks wait who's toga and toga walks away from him mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. standing right next to him when this happened I was like, does Toga go by another name at the school? Like, (laughs) (laughs) I took it that route instead of, oh, he's been dead this whole time. I didn't actually figure it out that he was dead until right before the reveal in the elevator scene. Toga is a really interesting one in like the way that his role in the story changes between the manga, the show, the movie and the movie manga. I feel like the show probably does like the best job with his character. Um, In the manga, he's just kind of like a generic playboy jerk who is there at the end. Um, Unfortunately, I can't remember enough of the movie manga right now um, to like conjure up a good memory of him. But like, he is the character who I feel like changes most across all the depictions. And this is one of the biggest changes to his character. The idea that he's already dead and that he and Utina were exes, like explicitly so. uh, That's a huge change to his character from the show. I actually love this rendition of his story and his and Utina's since they're intertwined in this one. Um, I don't know. I just thought it was really meaningful. Whereas like their relationship in the show felt like more of a stretch. This felt more natural. You could tell that like this iteration of Utena genuinely cared for him and vice versa. Whereas in the show, Utena's like, doesn't really know what to make of him. Then doesn't really like him. And then just kind of like, just kind of is okay with his existence (laughs) there in the end. (laughs) So the way that Toga ends up at the end of the show is much more a prominent part of like his character in the manga because Chiyo Saito was making a much more traditional heterosexual romance. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Definitely had less to say on, on the queerness front than the show does um and so like his role is a little bit less um overtly problematic because he's meant to be a bit more of the idealized romance um you can almost see him as like the tuxedo mask of this show or at least in the manga um my work here is done you didn't do anything leaves (laughs) (laughs) it's my favorite meme of all time (laughs) maybe my second favorite meme of all time but definitely like i just mean that like he's a bit more like mamoru in the manga the show makes him way more uh, of a playboy like he is way more toxic in the show. <laughs> he has a much longer character arc in terms of like his growth from the beginning to the end. Um, 
And then in the movie, he has no arc. He's already dead. He's just a ghost haunting Utena. <laughs> no arc for you. Uh, I mean, you could argue he has like a, a bit of one and that his spirit is released, but that's about it. <laughs> I was here and now I'm gone. <laughs> Once again, the you didn't do anything meme. Uh, that's a bit harsh on this one because like <laughs> i think some of it for utana is recognizing like that chapter of her history is over yeah because like she ends up at a tori academy and the first thing that happens is she meets him and unlike in the show where it's her parents death that haunts her in the movie it's his oh and yeah so grieving that loss and letting go of him opens her heart to being able to be with Anthe. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just being facetious. It really is a beautiful, (laughs) (laughs) it really is a beautiful picture of a beautiful portrayal of grief. And it's hard not to like bring the baggage of the show into the movie as far as his character. Yes. (laughs) Even though like it, even though in the movie, like, there's none of that in his character. Yeah, I mean, yes and no. He, his nobility, quote unquote, really shines through here in the movie in a way that it's it just can't in the show. The one wrinkle in that is the way that he works with Shiori. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I don't understand what his goal is with that. I don't either, and I still don't quite get the implication there. Like, I understand people who have had some sort of loss can see and interact with him. Um, What kind of uh, level of that do you have to have to be able to have sex with a ghost? Like, I just, I can accept that, okay, sure, Toga's not actually there. So who is Shiori having sex with? Patrick Swayze. Chesney, I feel like if any one of us were to have some type of extraterrestrial romantic relationship, say, with a ghost, that would be you, my friend. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not at Otori Academy right now. I mean, if I was, I'd be clearly fucking all of the ghosts, but like, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not, so it's not happening. No, I'm just trying to understand the, like, logic so to speak that the show's laying down but i guess the logic is fuck you i do what i want so in some cases i'm honestly not convinced that this movie has any logic at all (laughs) the show has some the movie has very little oh yeah like this is just a shotgun blast of symbolism and almost no connective tissue between the scenes Okay, so a lot of movies, it feels like you could usually cut 15 minutes comfortably and still have a sensible plot. This one needed about 30 more minutes. <laughs> yeah. 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 To make sense of everything they're trying to do. Yeah, I was actually surprised at the length. I thought it would have been longer. So, of course, the the jury duel ends the way all duels do, although... This is the only time we see it in this one. Um, when Utena gets knocked down, Dios picks up the sword and does like the the thrust that cuts the rose off. Uh, and 
the instant this happens, again, zero time to bask in the glory of having won. The Shadow Girls are shouting, go guy, go guy, because somebody dug up the rosebud that was clearly a grave. (laughs) I don't know how they didn't figure that out already. And then they cut over to that and Kane is crying over Akio's body. I love the Shadow Girls reporting and delivery on this. Turns out you've been six feet under and someone buried you. We wondered where you'd been. (laughs) (laughs) And Shiori points the finger at Anthe right off the bat. She's like, it's the one who owns the rosebed. That's whose fault this is. I also just now put together that Shiori left at the beginning of their duel. And she's immediately at the scene of the flower bed. Yeah, just so, Johnny on the spot. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, right there, What's ready to go. <laughs> so definitely dug him up. <laughs> Somehow figured out the plot herself. <laughs> And set the scene. So yeah, everybody's immediately after Anthe. It's the... In Anthe's mind, it's probably the mob scene all over again. Yeah, and then Shiori is, of course, the one to reveal the the actual scandalous videotape. Yes. This is is the copy that actually shows what went down. Yeah, this time it shows the two glasses that we saw before empty... Um, something's in the background that's wrapped in cloth and Akio goes to Anthe and then starts and goes, you weren't asleep. How long have you been awake? Have you never been asleep? Have you just been pretending? Which like horrifying on so many levels. Oh yeah. Like the idea that the thing that freaks him out is that she was aware of it. And not like, you know, that maybe you shouldn't have been doing this in the first place. Yeah. I think the the additionally disturbing thing happens right after where he starts tearing the room apart because he's trying to find the car key, which to oh, me reads like... that. What? Yeah. Sorry, one sec. Before that. What really messes with me is that Anthe replies to this by saying, it's okay. You're my prince. It's fine. Yeah. And that is what triggers him. Like the idea that she could approve of this in any way or have resigned herself to this fate, the full weight of his guilt comes crashing down on him because of that. Mm -hmm. Like, no, you're supposed to hate me. You're supposed to be mad at me for this. I was drugging you so you wouldn't know that this was happening. And the idea that you're okay with it is like, it breaks his brain. And. So then he tries to stab her. I think he does stab her, actually. I mean, it's just kind of implied. Yeah, like what you were saying, Carly. That's when he starts ripping the room apart and dives off the the balcony. (laughs) Yeah. What were you going to say that was the most disturbing part of it for you? Oh, well, (laughs) if uh, if you so I keep track of like all of the scenes in order. So I kind of remember where to go. And so the title that I gave the scene is Akio loses his mojo key. Because if a car is a metaphor for sex and you've lost the key, you've lost the thing that makes it go, then I I guess what I'm gathering from the scene is like Akio has lost his mojo key 
now that he's been exposed. I mean, honestly, Auntie has a lot of power in this situation because, I mean, she literally drives him to throw himself off a balcony. Yeah, I was going to say, if you flip it and look at the key as the control, because every time he was driving the car, he was the one that was in control. And when he doesn't have the key, he doesn't feel like he's in control anymore. And is instantly unstable. Yep. Loses his mind and falls off a balcony. You're right. He says something here that a car without a key is stuck and will rust. And we'll get that visually later. So I just wanted to like highlight that he makes mention of a car rusting because it's stuck. Um, Which also is like a good metaphor for everything about a Tory Academy mm-hmm. is like the idea that everyone here is stuck and rusting. Yeah. Just like the show wanted to use and talk about the coffin and not hatching imagery a lot with the movie, it's rusting and staying stagnant, which metaphors get across the same thing. But of course, Akio does the one good thing in his entire life and swan dives out of his window (laughs) (laughs) i feel like this this scene is the beginning of the end everything after this just goes off the freaking rails yeah absolutely yeah i mean the fact that anthe was stabbed in the chest and then was she just got up like it was fine that's that's already pretty off the rails (laughs) I mean, maybe it was a metaphorical stab. I, I mean, if, if you're carrying around the sword of Dios inside you on your person at all times, I'm not sure if like anything smaller than that is really going to harm you. That's a good point. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, what we do have here is like two scenes back to back. Anthe's backstory. And then immediately after that, Utena's backstory. And it just kind of puts a bow on what's going on and why they're there because like right away we get Utena in the therapy elevator <laughs> mm-hmm. um, except instead of like a butterfly on the wall and Mikage telling her to go deeper it's Toga and he finally is there for her to talk to honestly and openly about what happened between the two of them they didn't break up he died she's been like making it out in her mind to be a breakup this whole time by suppressing the memory of his death. So she just kind of like assumes that, oh, they must have broken up. But then she finally like fully remembers what happened. Um, And this is also the story that Jury told in the show. Yeah, that her older sister experienced. Yeah, except Utena obviously isn't Jury's older sister in this. Yeah, and... This version of Jury isn't show Jury's older sister either. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, somebody was drowning in the river and a boy jumped in to save them. Except the boy drowned and the other person lived. How does that work? Um, Weren't a strong enough swimmer to carry yourself and someone else. Oh, okay. That's fair. Or like a riptide. Yeah, you got somebody to safety, but the current took you out. Yeah. A riptide in an English garden? (laughs) (laughs) Fair. For real? 
like what what could be happening in that placid pond i thought it was a river but maybe i'm conflating the show's uh, maybe story it a, maybe it is a river i don't have the i don't have it pulled up anymore so i can't check but i was under the impression that it was a pond in my head <laughs> in my head it's the same river or the same canal that eventually goes over the dam that nanami sent the cat over yep oh yeah you might same have here there you might have some there I mean, I have no evidence for this. It's just like in my head, I just locate these two scenes in the same place. Um, although like with Nanami, it's clearly an urban spillway that leads to a larger body of water as opposed to this, which could be a canal or a river or like a man-made lake. We only ever see one shore of it. Um, but interestingly, we do see a castle in the background. Huh. So. Like, whatever is going on, there's a castle there. So we're introducing a little bit of the fairy tale bit that we got from the show. Although this doesn't have a fairy tale frame narrative. Um, we do get those visual elements eventually. Or like, um, oh, what was it? Uh, so like, eventually, we'll get the castle on wheels and all of that stuff. But interesting that like, in her memory... There's a castle there, just like there's a castle in the sky and all the rest of that. So we're just bringing in, like I said, we're just bringing in some of those fairy tale elements. It's interesting to me, speaking of fairy tale elements, that when Utana and Toga are talking in the elevator, and Toga says, that's right, when she killed her brother, the prince, Utana responds with, there was never a prince to begin with. I think I'm... Kind of, I think I'm partly taking that to mean to her, like her prince died a long time ago, um, or just that she hasn't recognized a prince in a while, uh, or hey, he was a shitty person. He was never that noble prince character. Although she does end up saying that you were really, you really were my prince. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, that is part of her saying goodbye to him. Because, like, one of the other things he says is, I promise to love you until the end of the world. Isn't that enough? And that's what he says to her before he jumps in the river to save the girl. Um, and that's really, like, the only reference to the end of the world that we get in in the movie. Yeah, I'm trying to remember if they mentioned something about it when they're on the highway. Oh, they might. But either this way, like a, this is like a long scene. It's like 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but either way, I it's poetic that he says that and then shows up here, which again, the show and the movie are both painting this picture of high school being the end of a world and growing up being the start of a new one or just leaving school, leaving that environment being the start of a new one. I think what's really interesting is that the show ages up Toga to be the same age as Utena, even though like it's a common thing with folks who lose someone young that like, because you only ever knew them up to say age 14, you can't really picture them as a 30 year old, you know, mm -hmm. they stay that age forever in your memory. Um, but here we have, a toga that is clearly recognizable to Utana, 
even though he died at say 12 or whatever like 12 or 14 whatever however old he was when that scene happened i also want to hear more about your bingo board at some point oh well interestingly um i did have an english garden scene on that bingo board but i am realizing that it has been so long since i've seen sars on my that i actually can't remember some of the things that were common like between that show and some of the other ones so i guess <laughs> maybe it's just the things that ujuna has in common with moro penguin drum but um <clears throat> there is an english garden scene in that show as well and autumn correct me if i'm wrong but it looks very similar to this garden scene am i wrong I am blanking on what English garden scene you're talking about. You, do you remember like when I now now that you've put me on the spot, I'm going to forget all the characters' names. Where <laughs> Ringo is in the park with boyfriend guy she wants to be boyfriend, and they're talking, and then his fiance shows up, and then the two of them have a conversation in the little gazebo thing. <laughs> There are so many scenes that could describe, like, I can't place it in a location. <laughs> okay, I swear to you. All right. So <laughs> when I come back for that particular Ringo episode, I'm going to remember this moment. And I'm going to remind you that we had this conversation. <laughs> Please do so. <laughs> okay. Because I swear to you, it is the same English garden. It looks no different. There's a, there's a, there's a canal or a pond. There's a gazebo. Like, same season, everything is the same. Now, that is a theory. What if all of these shows take place in the same metaverse? You probably don't want to go there at this moment. That would be a whole separate podcast. But <laughs> if the question is, do all of the shows take place in Osaka? I think there's a case to be made that, that might be <laughs> where all these shows take place. <laughs> Yes? Question um, mark. Yeah, I don't I, like. I don't remember if Sarah's on my specifically mentions that they're in Tokyo. Oh wait, no, no, no. It can't be. Ha! It can't be. Mawaru Penguin Drum has to take place in Tokyo because that's where the sarin gas attack at happened. Uh huh. So it isn't like one big thing, but it, I mean, it is all the southern coast of Japan. But that's like the difference between. LA and San Francisco. They're like six hours apart unless you're taking the bullet train. Um, I mean, I'm fairly certain that Utena takes place in Osaka. You think? Yeah, I we mean, figured we that out from the... There's the tomb and then there's also the, the Ferris wheel. Yes. The carnival date episode. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, they have to go up the coast to to get to that. Um, I think one of our viewers actually pointed out the similarities, right? Or did we go on a deep dive? Uh, one of the listeners talked about um, the Kofun, which yes. is the, the tomb. Um, we spent way too long <laughs> trying trying to, like, figure out where that, um, where that Ferris wheel was. Because... The candidate Ferris wheels, the ones that are big enough to have been that, weren't built until a few years after the show aired. Right. So, like, there's, like, a really easy one to pick in Tokyo, but that one wasn't built yet. So it couldn't be that one. So we're like, okay, maybe it's Osaka. <laughs> <laughs> 
And then the Daisen Kofun, which is um, the really big one in Osaka, that one looks just like Otori Academy, like with the hill leading up to it and the, the walking paths and all of that. It's like a dead on match for the map of Otori. The question is, where is that Ferris wheel? And I think that one is also in Osaka. But like I said, Sarazanmai, I don't know which city they specify, but Mawaru Penguin Drum has to be Tokyo. Uh, because like that sarin gas attack in 1995 is a huge part of the plot of that, that show. I mean, it is the plot <laughs> of that <laughs> show. <laughs> Essentially. I mean, there's, you know, a couple other weird random things that happen with, you know, Himari and her hat, but... <laughs> so there you go, Chesney. Before we start watching that show, the, the required reading is to learn about um, the 1995 sarin gas attack. Okay, noted. Um, anyway. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> One we... thing... Oh, go ahead. No, no, please. It's not important. <laughs> One thing that came to me that I think that you can boil down both the show and the movie to is that both mediums ask the question, the very simple question, what if this person had discovered Utena in the chapel? Because even the movie references Utena's parents' death. She, when she's talking to Toga, says, that night I was crying alone in the chapel, you gently embraced me. Which, this is a little bit of a stretch because there's not a lot more context given here, but I'm like, given Utena's backstory, the only thing this could be is when her parents died. So the right, question- but we don't have that context in the movie. But everything's kind of a nod to the show. Oh, Yeah. So that's why I'm like, the show and the movie are, what if Toga had been the one to discover and comfort Utena and become her prince? Wait, and say that one more time. What if the, the movie is, what if Toga had been the one to discover and comfort Utena and become her prince? In the show, he and Sionji do discover her when they're all kids. She's not comforted. She's not given a redirection. Yeah, that comes from Akio. Right. So okay, I see what you're going for. Yeah, it's just it boils down to the very different question or the very different people that take advantage of her. No. It comes down to two very different people that sees a moment of vulnerability and the different outcomes that transpire because of it. That's my official interpretation of the movie now <laughs> and the show. It's just, what if this person had discovered Utena while she was vulnerable? What if this person had instead? Now I want to see a version of this where the person who discovered Utena was, um, was Anthe. Yeah. And just like, like, there's a part of me that imagines this ending up even more toxic somehow <laughs> just because of like where the two of them would have been in their character arc when that happened i feel like that's what we see with nanami like 
if Anthe was the one who set her sights on Utena first, um, we would have gotten a rivalry like what she has with Nanami. So then Utena, newly bolstered by letting go of the past, ascends to the Rose Garden and finds Anthe there. And Anthe tells her, you were my true prince, Utena. You are the prince of the Academy as long as you stay here. So we have this like Jesus and the devil in the desert moment (laughs) of like, you can have this world. I am giving you this world, but you have to stay here. This is yours to rule, but you have to agree to my terms. And without missing a beat, Utena is like, no, fuck that. We're leaving. (laughs) Yeah. Literally the fastest grief processing I've ever seen. It takes 90 seconds. Grab your shit. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. I Get in, loser. A- We're going to the new world. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and this kicks off like the most Evangelion ass sequence. <laughs> the the car wash brushes, um, the engines starting, like everything about this is like getting into an Ava. Yeah, and this is where, like, if you thought that this was grounded in any semblance or piece of reality whatsoever, <laughs> um, that shit just goes flying right out the window. Yeah, oh, just- yeah. Like, the fact that there's car wash brushes in the rose garden, like, you just have to turn off that part of your brain at this point. Yeah. <laughs> it is no longer asking for suspension of disbelief. It's just... It's telling saying, you. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's telling you this isn't real. <laughs> okay, this is my moment. This is my time to shine. Uh, I have I have saved this Twitter page on my browser for three days. <laughs> <laughs> is now is now a good time? Yes. You need to go galaxy brain. Okay, so since you bring up Evangelion. Oh, wait a minute. Put on your tinfoil conspiracy hat. Put here on- we go. Well, here's the thing. You can put on your tinfoil conspiracy hats, but I have Twitter proof. That this is real. <laughs> so if that's what helps you sleep at night, that's fine. So I'm gonna I'm gonna set the scene for you, okay? So it's 2020. Um, my husband and I both are staying home for Christmas because we are sick with COVID, and we decide that we're gonna watch Evangelion together. We have never seen it before. We do not know what it's about. We just know that it is a classic anime, and people keep telling us to watch it. So we watch it. And there comes a point in this show where I start to wonder if Ikuhara has anything to do with it because I'm just seeing some similarities and I can't tell if it's because of just the time when it was made or if he was actually involved. So I looked it up and here is the answer. So apparently he was sort of tapped to be involved in Evangelion, but ultimately chose not to do it because he was working on Utena at the time. So this Twitter thread says, um, Hideakai Ano's sexy friend Kunihiko Ikuhara directed Sailor Moon at Utena, blah, 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 once had a deep conversation drinking and bathing with Ano on adolescent feeling. He doesn't say Ano is Shinji, I am Kawaru, but the stories they shared for self-affirmation are there. 
So Sarazama director Kunihiko Ikuhara, a.k.a. Ikuni, is a friend of Hideaki Anno. Anno asked him to work together for Evangelion, but he already had started Utena. Then Anno created a character just like him in Eva. It's Kawaro Nagisa. The song is good, so Ikuni is mysterious. So I literally have proof that he was somehow <laughs> like on the fringe involved in this show even though he ended up not working on it so in my research he never sort of confirms or denies that uh, ikuhara never confirms or denies that this is what's happening ikuhara but never confirms or denies anything he never confirms yeah. or denies anything but i'm telling you <laughs> if you watch it it's there like <laughs> i don't know what else to say um and then, you know, it just sort of devolves into people talking about how handsome Ikuhara is, which, like... Well, like, if, yeah, you okay. see, if you see photos of him from 1997 to 2001, during the run of the show and the development of the movie, his entire fashion presentation completely shifts over that time. And he kind of leans into his, like, weird auteur identity, and we talked about this on the show before that, like, in Utena, there's a lot of unresolved ideas and feelings that are just right there on the screen. There's a lot more refinement in his later works, although Penguin Drum is messy. Um, it's a I trash said, fire. I, I've said this elsewhere. And I'm probably going to say it again once we actually like start reviewing that show. Of all of Ikuhara's works, Penguidrum has the most to say and the hardest time saying it. <laughs> Damn. Truly. Truly. Like, there are so many ideas packed into it, and there is so much subtext that it actually does start to get lost. Um, Utena has the advantage of like all of the characters are color-coded archetypes it makes a lot of the analysis way easier penguin drum doesn't like these are more realistic characters and at the same time like the scenario is just as fantastical but there's so much there about grief and loss about love about trauma um, family devotion and like maintaining hope in the face of unspeakable tragedy. And it's like the ideas that it's wrestling with are just too big for the story it's trying to tell because those feelings are themselves too big. Like I feel like that show is one of the most raw of all of Iguhara's works. Utena is unrefined. Like the genius of it comes from like their low budget and the way that the team all had to like pull together and scrap this together. Penguin Drum had all the budget it needed, and it still feels like it was too big to to clearly convey. Yeah. So that's the end of the, like that soapbox rant. But yeah. Now Penguin Drum has an absolute chokehold on all of us. <laughs> but anyway, go on. Uh. So like the Venn diagram of the fandoms <laughs> of Evangelion and Utena are almost a perfect circle. There's like a <laughs> sliver on the outside of each um, that don't cross over. And like 
part of the part of each sliver is just haven't seen the other one yet. <laughs> and, and then uh, part of each sliver is that like for whatever reason, one or the other just doesn't speak to you. Well, whenever I eventually watch Evangelion, we'll see where I end up on that Venn diagram. <laughs> oh my god. It's uh, slowly creeping closer <laughs> to me watching it. Also, I have to mention, I found an Ikuhara bingo. What? Uh, uh-huh. I found it. I sent it is in it, the group chat. Is it better uh, than mine? <laughs> oh, hell no. Nothing is ever going to be better than yours. That's very kind of you. But <laughs> I am not convinced. Where is it? However, uh, I have to mention that the free space is lesbians. That's incredible. 10 out of 10. <laughs> oh, I have found uh, it. I don't think Sarazanmai clears the bar on the free on the free space. Oh shit. No, it doesn't. I don't remember there like if there are lesbians in it, like it's a couple that shows up in one episode or something. Like I don't remember it being anything. Um Well, I mean I, so, I, okay, I'm looking at the bingo card now. Nudity should have been the free space. Oh, yeah, 1,000%. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly it gets really dark. <laughs> I don't know if everything has cows in it. Oh, right, but that's why it's a bingo board, to see what you get. Well, okay, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> it's ju- It happens just enough, Carly, that <laughs> if you watch enough of the shows, you might get bingo. <laughs> anyway so uh long story short utana turns into a car wait i'm so sorry (laughs) i'm so sorry i have to add something and i have to tell you why this bingo board is not doing it for me okay because the thing that my bingo board has that this one does not is pulling objects out of a character's chest or butt (laughs) (laughs) every time Okay, that's all I have to say. But I know Sars on My has that because it has an absolute banger of a song to accompany it. Anyway. The space that speaks to me is suffering. <laughs> <laughs> Truly. But yeah, so long story short, Utena turns into a car. And yes. immediately rests. Yep. Because Anthe can't find the key. And then, whoops, here it is. It was there in her hand all along. Oh, and it was the ring. It was the duelist ring that transformed in her hand. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. And immediately after we descend into, and I quote, some NASCAR ass shit, end quote. <laughs> <laughs> because in order to break out in the new world, you have to win a race. You, you've got to play. Oh, you have to play a Tory Academy cart. <laughs> And the mission control room is Jet Set Radio Core. <laughs> Before that, we do get a shot of the center line and then the radio, which is like straight out of Lost Highway, which is a visual reference that the show made. Um, for those who somehow didn't listen to all of this podcast and just like joined us now. <laughs> For, um, for those of you who are hinged enough Lost to Highway. watch this backwards. Yeah. Uh, Lost Highway is a David Lynch movie. And all of the, the shots going down the road in 
the show and some of the shots here in the movie are lifted directly from that movie. It's a movie that deals a lot with um, male pain and how it informs uh, toxic masculinity and violence. Um, it's one of it's one of Lynch's weirder ones. I think it takes a couple of viewings to really grasp it. I dislike it because it's such a slow movie that like requiring multiple viewings just kind of feels like a slog. <laughs> <laughs> but I know that there's people out there who just absolutely love it. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> I can respect that you like it. Chesney, did you also share a picture of Ikuhara dressed in leather and spikes? I don't know what you're talking about. I think you did. <laughs> mm, I don't know about that one. <laughs> Why did you do this to us? Well, I had to because it was exactly when Autumn was talking about um or was I can't remember now who which of you it was, but I'm talking about different um his different fashion styles. Oh. From yeah, from a certain period of his life. And I was like, well, here's one. He looks great. <laughs> 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 Fucking killing it. This is giving uh, Otori Academy vampire realness right now. <laughs> so Iko and Afko are on the radio and they are giving, they're announcing the, the race and they say, uh, they note that Anthea is winning because of course she is. She's the only car in the race and just on cue. Shiori, one of the black cars from the, the garage earlier, shows up and says, are you surprised to see me? It's a big mistake to think you're the only one who can turn into a car. <laughs> <laughs> I'd also like to think that this race is what someone who's never actually seen the Indy 500 <laughs> thinks that it's like. It's just 500 cars all <laughs> racing at the same time. Oh my god, I hope that's what happened. <laughs> because all of a sudden, it goes from just Anthe in the Utena car to now Anthe, Utena, and Shiori, and then like a fucking locust swarm of race cars. <laughs> oh, but before the, the rest of them show up, Shiori crashes. She's like, I'm not going to let you do something as cool as make it to the outside world. And then immediately tries to like sideswipe Utena and crashes. Fails miserably. Yeah. Rip. <laughs> and then we never see her again. <laughs> uh, we do. Uh, we see her flaming wreck on the side <laughs> of the road. <laughs> and then we never see her again. <laughs> Yeah, like the other cars run over her license plate even. Oh, yeah. It was like insane insult to injury. <laughs> so then they go into a tunnel and the cars are now on all sides of the tunnel and threatening to drop onto Anthe from above. <laughs> like Just the crazy physics of attacking by detaching from the ceiling <laughs> if that's not a metaphor for anxiety i honestly don't know what is <laughs> this sounds like the worst possible scenario right i'm <laughs> i'm driving through that big tunnel that runs under baltimore and there's cars dropping on me from the ceiling that is nightmare fuel <laughs> you're like oh what's the worst that can happen this show cars could fall on you <laughs> <laughs> like uh 
It's the Australian cryptid, the the drop bear. <laughs> oh yep. my god. <laughs> Come on, Chesney, you're a cryptid hunter. You should know these things. You're a cryptid expert. <laughs> well, apparently I'm not because I didn't know about this. <laughs> yeah, uh Google drop bears. But um just as Utana and Anthe are going to be crushed by a tank dropping from the ceiling. Uh, which I want to know which person the tank car is. Because it can't be any of the duelists because we're about to see them. I want to know who the tank car is. I think it's just the castle. Right? Like, no, I no. don't think it's... the oh, Like, in the tunnel, there's, uh, there's one of the black cars that's just, like, bigger than all the others. Oh! It's, it's, it's Wakaba. No, because, Wakaba. no, because Wakaba is actually the car that Sionji, Jury, yes. and uh, oh, you're right, Mickey are she's riding the, on. She's the pit crew. She's the little jeep. It's yeah. so fucking cute. Oh, how the front I forget? Of, the front of it says Wakaba and everything. It was yep. adorable. And then, so like, now I want to know. Who is the tank car? <laughs> Autumn, my question's unanswered. Yeah. Who is that tank? <laughs> um, like, let's see. I-, I feel like Toga is a possibility because like, this is all thought and memory and feeling at this point. We just don't get enough characters in the movie to have like a, a real solid one to-, to pin down. Maybe it's Nanami. Yeah, I was just thinking that. <laughs> I mean, it feels like a very Nanami thing to do. <laughs> she can turn into a cow. She can turn into a tank. I mean, there are no rules here. You know, what more could you ask for? What more? I mean, I think it was an act of cowardice on the creator's part to not give us a shot of the uh, license plate and tell us which character this is. <laughs> <laughs> we demand to know. <laughs> Autumn gets one chance with Ikuhara to ask one question. <laughs> and the question is... the fucking is, tank? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, the fans want to know. Until somebody tells me different, I'm, I'm going with Nanami. <laughs> it's, it's just going to be what it is. But then they are rescued by um, a a chain on a winch that pulls them out of the tunnel in time. And it's Wakaba and Jury and Mickey and Sionji of all people. (laughs) (laughs) Who's like begrudgingly there helping. Yeah. (laughs) We have a great little power of friendship moment. Yeah. I am totally cool with the power of friendship being like the way out of this. Yeah. Cause that's what it was. It was, they're just friends. There's just two friends kissing (laughs) on the motorcycle (laughs) on the way out. We didn't get a power of friendship spirit bomb at the end of the show, even though like the student council was all sitting around grilling and waiting and hoping that things turn out well. Um, We didn't get like the end of the first arc of Sailor Moon, (laughs) you know, (laughs) where... um, she comes back to life with the power of everybody else. No, we, but we do get it in this movie. <laughs> yeah. What's sweet is that they help save them and then let them know that they plan on following them eventually. 
just not right now. And then they just take the next exit off. Just like a good pit crew is supposed to do. They now I'm- change your tires, give you a high five, and send you on your way. <laughs> now I'm sitting here like, shit, do I have that fact right about Sailor Moon? <laughs> like, I can't remember which plot arc it was. I'm fairly certain that that's accurate. but I I'm, think it's the first one. I'm not an expert. Because like, I know there's one where she dies and then like the... Or, or is it... Wait, is it the Sailor Scouts who die? Fuck, it's been too long. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. I think from what I can remember, the first season... Uh, is that all of the sc- sailor scouts die one by one and then there's this big battle at the end and it's uh, she doesn't die per se but you're right in that I think she gets all of their powers and they're all returned to like just being normal human girls until she like reawakens them oh right 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 he's right. in yeah. an R my god how do you remember that we watched that it in is, college it's ingrained <laughs> It's ingrained, Just, baby. Disney, that was like a decade ago, dude. Listen, I can't tell you shit about what happened yesterday, but 10 <laughs> years ago, I got that shit locked in. <laughs> so then we get a call back to an earlier line that they're helping her now because high goals are in good company. That like the idea that if you're reaching for the top, there will always be people there at your side to help you do it. Yeah, it's the perfect example of community, what it should be anyway. So then we get the castle tank. Yes. (laughs) And it's almost like it phases in and out of reality at first. Like it's trying to have a form. Um, And then it's just fucking huge. So the final boss is Big Wheel from (laughs) Spider-Man. The visual for this always reminds me of a shot from like one of the Mega Man games, like the parallaxing of like seeing the castle rise up in the background and then come into the screen in line with like the characters. That's what this reminds me of. And I cannot remember which of the Mega Man games this happens in. I think it's one of the X games, but something rises up in the background and then like drifts in that way. It was kind of a common thing. Um, I think there were other platformer games that used that trick as well, but um, for whatever reason, it's standing out in my mind as a Mega Man thing. Pretty I, sure. I think of that every time I see that shot. <laughs> Carly, what were you going to say? I was, well, I stopped because I realized I'm actually not as sure as I thought I was, but I thought that was the Mega Man that was for the Nintendo, like the, like one of the first ones. Um, But I could be totally wrong. I don't know. Ignore me. (laughs) (laughs) I do know what you're talking about, though, because I have seen it. I just don't remember where or which one. Like, I want to say it was Mega Man 2 when you get to Wily's Castle, but... Now, again, we're talking about, like, 30-year-old shit. Right. So, <laughs> Well, in in any case, I think it is safe to say that Ikuhara is very fond of comically large bosses that may also be locations. <laughs> Which we, we also saw in Penguin Drum with the uh, child broiler. <laughs> Bruh. I'm just going to let that one ride so Chesney has to wonder about it until you get there. Oh, my God. This is, like... Veggie Tales, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego all over again. (laughs) 
Girl, you have no idea. And then in Sara's on my, all the bosses were comically huge because that was part of it. You had to enter their butt to go pull out the thing. <laughs> that the name is escaping me, but you know what I mean. And if you I don't know what I mean, you should watch Sara's on my. I was about to say I don't, but okay. <laughs> Yeah, no, the castle has, like, going on the theme of ghosts that the movie has kind of set <laughs> with Toka, uh, the castle does have this ethereal, ghostly quality to it. Um, you know, it, it's not like it suddenly comes to life and starts talking. Um, it's just, like, there. It's really oppressive, um, not just with how big it is, but by the way that um, Anthe has to try and navigate its undercarriage uh, and how long and arduous of a task that is. And even in the end, she barely gets out. Yeah, it's tire frogger. It's, it's all wheels. Yeah. It's just all wheels. Big wheel, once again. <laughs> but we know that it's going to work because we get the, the music drop from the title sequence. It's Rainbow Revolution. <laughs> She also gives Utena, like, a second form at some point, right? Like, doesn't she repair the car um, right before Yeah, there's, gets- like, a transformation sequence with, like, the the red cloth of her dress. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, it's, it's also giving me very Persona 5, <laughs> which I love. I haven't played a Persona game since the first and so, like, I've witnessed a lot because I've been on Twitter and Tumblr. But, <laughs> yeah, I have not actually been able to experience it firsthand well, in a very long time. Now you can experience Persona 5, my friend, because they just released it on Steam. Oh, my God. Oh, okay. <laughs> and it's, I mean, As argue. this podcast just devolves into us chatting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> doesn't every podcast... Uh, Notably, it's also Persona 5 Royal, the better version. Cough, cough. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, the tire, so the treads from the castle no longer are going along the ground, moving it forward. It kind of turns into like this crushing wall thing that shears pieces of Utena off and scrapes Anthe. And Akio is there offering to to help that he's like you don't have to be afraid anymore let's just go back and he says uh we can go back to um that world where you can be a living corpse like a vampire (laughs) (laughs) i mean listen they never say that that they aren't explicitly so (laughs) so in between the first recording session for this episode and now I binged all of the show uh, First Kill, which has a vampire named Akio in it. <laughs> well. <laughs> and it's about lesbian vampires. Well, a lesbian vampire and her equally lesbian vampire hunter girlfriend and like their star-crossed lovers situation. Um, it's very good. Netflix canceled it way too early because Netflix, oh. ha- Netflix hates anything that people love. Um, but again, more evidence for my Akio's a vampire theory. 
from another show that has nothing to do with this. <laughs> I mean, it's the sapphic media cinematic universe. <laughs> True. So yeah, Anthe, we've kind of talked about it already, but Anthe very notably has more agency in this story with driving the car and she just, her actions are way more, they come from a place that seems more authentic to what she really wants, or maybe the correct word is transparent. But even here in the end, when she's facing Akio and he's saying, we can go back, she responds with, sorry, you can only be a prince in that world. And Utena and I are living for the real one. And they have a little bit of a dialogue back and forth. And this is where the end of the world is mentioned again in the movie. Because Akio says, you'll only end up at the end of the world. And she says, that may be, but still pushes harder to get out. Basically saying, I've got to experience it for myself. Let me go. Which is like in that one sentence, probably more agency than she had in the entire show. Yeah. Yeah, and they say, grant me the power to revolutionize the world together and charge ahead. At this point, naked and riding on the lesbian luge. (laughs) Naked and unafraid. And we get a shot of the control room and the shadow girls and everyone else there were all just dolls made of straw. And interestingly enough, Eco and Efko are wearing Utena and Anthe's uniforms. And, and so then um, they're talking to each other about, you know, going to the outside world. And, um, the Sh- or, and Wakaba says that the outside world doesn't have roads. And where we're going, we don't need roads because this is back to the future. <laughs> <laughs> And then we have one more scene of just good friends. Right. I mean, the end. I don't, I don't know what else. <laughs> I don't know what else you want me to say. They're just good friends. The end. <laughs> no, who is it that says we're born in the outside world and now we're returning to the place that we're from? Um, I think it was Utna who says that. Okay. Because like the end is really kind of like her giving a monologue. Um. Oh, wait, no. Uh, specifically that line, Anthe says that line. Anthe is the one who says that we're going back to where we're from. So the whole thing becomes like this big metaphor for grief and moving past it. It's like you're going back to being okay, really. Like being okay with taking risks, being okay with experiencing new things in the absence of important people in your life. Also, like, including yourself after trauma, right? Like, returning to who you are at your core after this, like, traumatic thing happened to you. Yeah. And embracing the future instead of rejecting it. So, yeah. It ends with the most glorious, beautiful gay kiss ever. (laughs) (laughs) Of potentially any show I've ever seen. (laughs) And then proceeds to have, like, the longest credit sequence I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) Like, do you remember when we all finished watching it? 
we were talking and then Chesney, you said something and it was like five minutes after the credits started rolling and you were just continuing to watch that. Oh yeah, because the credit song was a banger. <laughs> Listen, it's it worth like it. An, it is like an eight minute credit sequence. Yeah, it's worth the like ten minutes, trust me. <laughs> Cause then you're just vibing and thinking gay thoughts. That's it. <laughs> so yeah that's Utena that's Utena baby <laughs> <laughs> what a long strange trip it's been so good though I wasn't even here for most of it listen I'll have you know that the songs in this show have haunted me Yeah, since I've ended it or since we finished it there's some bangers well, I'll okay, I'll literally just be sitting at work and the fucking song that plays at the very end of the last episode of the like someday together will shine just starts playing and I'm like, "Uh, <laughs> why? <laughs> Don't stab me in the chest like this. I can't take it." Too soon? No. I did warn you. There is no recovering from this show. <laughs> yeah. This is why I don't finish things, Autumn. <laughs> I Okay, I will cop to having still never seen the final episode of Futurama or The Good Place. I know what happens in both of them. I have been in both fan communities long enough that every single scene of those final shows has been spoiled for me. I still have not sat down and watched them. When things end and I witness it, it does things to me, man. Well, just keep that in mind before you watch Evangelion then, because it will fuck you up. Oh, I'm fully aware. I'm, I'm gonna still, have to I'm still fucked up a year later, Chesney. <laughs> I'm gonna have to spend like a whole weekend just wrapped in a blanket cocoon. <laughs> have you seen any of the movies or any of like the, the more recent um like retoolings of the show? No, because I'm still not over the original. <laughs> I don't know if I want to do that to myself again. I don't think that I knew that there were any, like, reboots or additions. Oh, yeah. They made a bunch of movies. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... It's like Blade shit. Runner. They just they made a director's cut and an extended cut <laughs> and a whole separate movie. It just keeps going. <laughs> it's kind of like they made the show... And the show's ending. Oh, it didn't make sense, what, right? Well, yes. And also, like, <laughs> it wasn't quite what they wanted it to be. And so they went and made a movie where it ends a slightly different way. And, like, then they went and remade the whole thing. So it, it's really deep. And it is not, like, it's not a casual endeavor to burn through every piece of Evangelion media. <laughs> also, I don't advise watching it alone. Noted. Just watch it. <laughs> watch with a buddy. Just trust me. Yes. It is yes, bleak sure. as fuck. <laughs> Damn. But, like, ultimately, there's kind of a message of hope there. At least it's trying for one. I, it's doing its best. <laughs> It's doing its best. I felt very <laughs> bleak at the end. Also, Shinji just pisses me off, but that's a discussion for another time. <laughs> okay, so what are your predictions for next time? 
Well, wait, you're not you know, done yet? You know, if you had asked me before we recorded this, um, Chesney, do you think that there's going to be something called a child broiler in the next show that you watch? <laughs> I would have said, no, of course not. Um, but now I don't know what to think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I honestly do not know what to expect of Mawaru Penguin Drum because I've only heard a few bits and pieces from you both. And that's it. Like, that's really been my only exposure to the show. Very similar to Utena. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know what it's about. I know there's a train involved. <laughs> and some kids. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. Uh, so predictions for next time are uh, Chesney starts the being confused and playing detective game all over again. <laughs> But it's always a fun game. I enjoy it. So here's my other question for you. Okay. What's the over-under on how many days it's going to take before you go back and start re-watching Utena? Well, I tried to immediately start watching um, a part of the episode after we finished the show. And I had to stop because... Uh, my heart immediately hurt. And I was like, no, it's too soon. I can't do this. <laughs> um, okay. I thought you all weren't done with the series yet for a minute. And I was like, what do you mean next time? Isn't this the end? <laughs> no, that's just, <laughs> it never ends. That's just how we wrap up every episode. And I was being cheeky about asking about what do you think happens next time? Because like, there isn't a next episode. <laughs> ah, I mean, there you. is. Just not of this. Yeah, there's a next episode of this podcast, but not a next episode of this show. Gotcha. So, um, I mean, what this show does is exactly what you stated at the beginning of this podcast. Um, it turns you into evangelicals, and then you go and evangelize to other people. Um, I've already got my sights set on my partner, so it's just a matter of time. <laughs> I already know that they would enjoy it too, because there's like a certain, I don't know the, the way that the movie is connected to, but also disjointed from reality has a certain appeal to it that I really think my partner will like. So I'm like, yeah, it's, it's just a matter of time. And I'm going to give them the choice of, do you want this to make sense or not? <laughs> <laughs> and let them choose how they want to uh, enter into the show. So, honey, if you're listening to this uh, in the future, hi, I love you. And good luck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also, uh, the more that I watch Fruits Basket on my own uh, as my adult rewatching, uh, the more convinced I am that we're going to have to do it on this show at some point. Oh, my God. I have to finish Fruits Basket. I like, I have so much I want to say and I can't because I don't want to spoil a damn thing. I want you to go in blind. Autumn, you've never seen Fruits Basket? I haven't. Oh my God. <laughs> no, it'll, it'll be the perfect reversal of the dynamic on our show. The, yep. Um, yeah. You want to talk about some love tetrahedrons? That is the show. <laughs> 
I've only gotten like 20 episodes in. I don't remember why I stopped it. It wasn't like any particular reason. I think I got busy doing something else, but I've been meaning to pick it back up. Also, some pretty good conversations on gender and sexuality to be had and enforcing gender roles. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Hmm. So, yeah, hopefully y'all tune into our next iteration (laughs) uh, of this podcast. So we have an email from Holly about the movie that we had to put off for a few months because we we weren't here yet. Um, Holly sent this back in September, linking to a Tumblr post and asking for our thoughts about uh, this big brained observation. (laughs) Uh, So I'm going to read this post from Average Utena Enjoyer. Has anybody written an essay yet on the idea of holes in the Utena movie? I'm thinking about the move. I'm thinking about the moments when the screen goes to static because there's a hole in the VHS tape, plot holes, shadow girls as holes, that moment where we see Anthe's silhouette and as a shadow, she has a literal hole through her body where her heart is. And she says, I'll show you the reason why everyone wants me, the Rose Bride. And also just holes, TM. <laughs> <laughs> If Holes TM is alluding to Holes the movie with Stanley Yelnats and Zero, I'm <laughs> absolutely dying. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's sexual. <laughs> uh, I see. Well, we are really dating ourselves right now. <laughs> How? I'm older than you. <laughs> well, Chesney and I are dating ourselves at least. <laughs> I don't know what reference immediately. I don't know what you're talking about. So did I. (laughs) So did I. (laughs) Okay, so we are all dating ourselves. Well, but I'm pretty sure that that movie is like a classic with um, Gen Z. Anyway, it came Uh, out in like early 2000s. Is it? Yeah, I mean they love. um, 2003. They they do love Shrek a lot, so maybe they're going to get their claws in holes one day too. I'm sure they already have. We'll see. I don't know that, actually. So anyway. Anyway, back to Holes trademarks. (laughs) So, uh, I mean, I guess I'll take a stab at this. Um, (laughs) 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 Oh, my God. Sorry, I'll leave. (laughs) So one of the recurring pieces of architecture throughout the film is like that hallway with the arches that are like 90 degree angles except one goes through and the other doesn't um but there's like a hallway of them like these uh they almost resemble flying buttresses except that's not architecturally how they're being used they're actually part of an archway and so that has um like that archway is one of them. Um, we talked earlier on the show about like the broken archway at the beginning going into the Rose Garden and the way that like rather than being a stained glass window, it's just an open piece of metalwork. So that's another example of, of holes in it. Um, as far as plot holes, I have to, (laughs) this is one where I'm just going to like give up because 
if you're trying to find a coherent enough plot to make firm uh to make firm conclusions about what are plot holes in this plot like i don't think there's enough structure there to begin with um to find where the holes would be this entire plot almost feels like bullet points rather than a story yeah i mean i would honestly love to see like an academic critical essay on the different holes in this movie because I would love to see somebody's take on it. Um, my only poll is just that kind of going off of what Autumn said, there's just something that's not quite right with everything here. So if you look at a hole as the idea of something missing, um, there's things missing at Otori Academy, like peppered everywhere. Um, in one of the opening shots, uh, in the background, you see a set of three windows, except the one in the middle. Uh, it almost looks like somebody tried and failed to like copy and paste it. And it just kind of got a little, a little off center there. Um, but it's also upside down. Like, <laughs> I think the whole thing about this movie is that it just poses a question or two and then asks the viewer to fill in the rest and try to make sense of it themselves, which is what this fandom will happily do. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Carly? You know what? I'm sitting here, honestly, like trying to figure out what on earth I would even say about this. I mean, <clears throat> some of these holes are intentional. I wonder if others of them are not intentional, um, but are rather just a product of like the way the show is structured or the movie is structured. Um, but I I kind of like what you're saying, Chesney, about how like things are missing at this academy that <clears throat> should be there but aren't and um, like teachers yeah like, yeah <laughs> yeah like teachers and rooms yep <laughs> like actual rooms um actual adults actual adults right uh like just the the structure is so loose it's almost non-existent so uh i i really don't know i mean i don't know if i even have coherent thoughts about this to be honest the only other thing that I can pull on is, I mean, what is one of the main holes that we saw in the movie? The one that Akio's body was pulled out of. What does this series show us over and over again? Various depictions of death, coffins, being stuck, etc., etc. Um, that's well, the only other, like connection that i can make there well okay so it's interesting you say that because you're right like there's uh, a lot of graves and things in this movie and also i i'm getting hung up on that scene um where Ante says i'll show you why everyone wants the rose bride and it sort of pans to her shadow and there's a hole in her chest um it's almost like Stick with me here. So it's almost like <clears throat> there's an underbelly to 
a Tory Academy, and there's like glimpses of it throughout the movie, um, like like that, for example, and um, just lost my train of thought. <laughs> this was like totally galaxy brain, but um, yeah, it's almost like we get to see the other side of that liminal space that I talked about earlier where like there's a lot of things unfinished and there that are loose and not all of them are good or positive um almost sinister that's about all i have on that i think that's another key link is that all of the holes in this movie do have some element of being sinister attached to them yeah i mean even like even that scene with Nanami, which is very comical, but is playing on that videotape, she's in a bog. Yeah. Like, she's not in a pasture somewhere that's verdant. It's literally a swamp. It doesn't look very appealing. I don't know what a cow would be doing there. <laughs> but, you know, on the surface, everything is bright, and people seem generally happy at the school, and I don't know. It doesn't really hold up when you look at it. Yeah, I'm sorry. I lost my train of thought there, too. I know. This is, like, <laughs> such a big question. It's kind of hard to wrap my brain around it. I feel like I have to watch the entire movie again now through that lens <laughs> in order to have <laughs> coherent thoughts about it. <laughs> we will likely be doing one more mailbag episode to wrap up any any emails that come in between when this drops and when the first episode of our Mawaru Penguin drum viewing drops and stay tuned. Uh, if we end up doing another sideshow along with this one about fruits basket, <laughs> we'll definitely announce that also. Uh, and it will be a little bit before the show comes back. Although given my editing and release timeline there may be a shorter gap than uh you as a listener will notice even though like we on this end of it will probably feel the gap a bit more um just because like we have a few episodes that still have to release and that's going to give us some time to record uh stuff going forward but i would expect the next stuff to to be coming later in december or at the beginning of next year um which, if you're listening as it's being released, next year means January of 2023. So I don't know <laughs> how far in the future you're listening to us. But <laughs> uh, yeah, we will be posting on here about like when the next show is going to be and where it'll be. So thank you again, Carly, for coming back, uh, for watching this with us. And coming back twice, actually, because it took two days to get through this entire thing. Well, it was also partially my fault that we had to come back twice. But thank you for having me. There is yeah, no way in hell we could have gone until like midnight or 1 a.m. Well, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your power going out was actually kind of a, a blessing there. <laughs> we all would have been fading by the end of this. That's fair. So <laughs> glad it worked out. But thank you again for coming. Yes, thank you for having me. I hope to, I hope to come back for some of the Penguin Drum episodes because I I can't let the two of you enjoy this all on your own. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't dream of it. Great. 
and we will see you next time.